Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio features Mr. Chuck Akers. Chuck is the president of USPA and the regional director in the Gulf region. We're lucky enough to have Chuck in our backyard. He skydives at Spaceland Houston, although we don't get to see him very much because his duties as our regional, uh, or excuse me, as our president, keeps him traveling quite a bit. He has a lot going on and a lot on his plate. What does USPA do for you? Man, I hear people complain about our governing body all the time. I've worked with the USPA. I've actually served as the Gulf Regional Director, and I think they do a lot. This is a good opportunity, a good chance to learn what USPA does for you, why USPA exists, and what you can do to better understand USPA and how to contact your national or regional directors. Take a listen. Check out what Chuck's got to say. And uh, for now, tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by the Rating Center. The Rating Center, we are a one-stop rating school. We will do your tandem rating, AFF rating, and coach rating. We also do canopy courses and canopy coaching, a little bit of all of the above with canopy stuff. Your rating is our priority. For years, it was a certification process, and I hear old school skydivers say, you guys are too easy nowadays because so many more people pass. Um, And I honestly believe a good examiner is harder today than even some of our predecessors were with much respect to them. Uh, We know how to be worse students now than ever. But people pass more because they are, they are now training and certification courses. At the Rating Center, we highly believe in that training process. Our goal, our job is to train you to be the best instructor possible. If you can be the best instructor possible, then you can pass the course. We're not necessarily training you to pass a course. Honestly, I have a problem with that thought process because you could pass a course and never keep the skill or mindset. We want to train you to be an instructor for the rest of your life, and that way you can still pass a course and get all of the above done. Care and compassion is something I take very dear to my heart, especially when it comes to my staff. I have a lot of great team members behind me. My wonderful wife, Valerie Marvin, founded the company with me, and immediately thereafter, my right-hand guy, Mr. Henry Pruitt, Hank Pruitt, Hank the Tank, a lot of you know him. He takes care of the majority of our traveling courses. The only traveling courses Hank does not do is AFF, and Mr. Chris Fudala has stepped in there. Chris Fudala is a coach examiner and an AFF examiner, and he has been crushing it. He has been focused on instructional ratings the majority of his skydiving career while still finding time to fun jump play and have a good time. We have a great team there, but we also have our Spanish division. Mr. Pedro Ramos actually teaching a tandem course right now, USPA UPT tandem course. He does them in English and he does them in Spanish. And really the catalyst to our Spanish division is Miss Erin Sanchez. Erin came to me with a passion for the people of Mexico. She said, my my friends don't get the proper training. My friends don't get the proper uh, uh, information. And I want to make sure they do. Do we have an examiner who speaks Spanish? I said, Erin, I don't have any. But Erin, do you know somebody who speaks Spanish and has a passion for the, the, the Latin community and has a lot of tandem experience? And Aaron has a crap load of experience. It took a few minutes for Aaron to put two and two together, and I was talking about her. And we were very blessed to have Aaron come under the rating center. Uh, she's trained with us as an examiner, and it's, it's one of the most interesting training experiences I had because it's almost like the examiner in training trained the rest of us. She's a brilliant mind for training, a brilliant mind for tandems, and a brilliant heart for people. Erin, again, is the foundation. She is what started the Spanish division, our Latin division of the Rating Center. If you want courses in Spanish, we currently offer AFF courses, excuse me, tandem courses and coach courses in Spanish. Mr. Pedro Ramos is working on polishing off his AFF examiner rating so he can do those in Spanish as well. 
care, compassion. That's what it's all about. Ultimately, we have to love one another and care for one another. We don't have to, but it sure goes a long way in getting good quality training. And that's why I love the Rating Center team and the Rating Center staff. You won't be in a course with one of them where they won't give you 110%. If you want more information about how to sign up for a course with the Rating Center, go to theratingscenter.com. That's ratings with an S, theratingscenter.com. And check us out. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Or give us an email at trc at theratingscenter.com. Till then, enjoy the show with Mr. Chuck Aker. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? All right, party people. We are live. Party people, I, I like love it. it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Welcome to Gravity Lab Radio, and uh, tonight our guest is the one, the only El Presidente. I hate President. El Presidente sounds so much cooler. <laughs> Mr. Chuck Akers, how you doing, buddy? I'm awesome. How are you guys, dude? I am doing good. Uh, first of all, Nick said it a second ago. You expect way too much out of us. <laughs> um, I explain this as an organic conversation. We like to sit down, shoot the shit, turn on some microphones, and hang out with our homies. Sure. Uh, so, guys and gals, if this is your first time tuning into Gravity Lab Radio, we're just a bunch of jackasses with microphones, joined by our good friend, who's also the jackass president of USPA. <laughs> so, um, I, I say that. Lovingly, if, if you do know me and my love for USPA, I, I have a lot of support, yeah, and for especially sure. for uh, you as the president. Um, tonight, we'll talk a bunch about USPA. We're going to talk a lot about what USPA does for us. Um, I think no better person to answer that than the president. And also, uh, man, it's an organic conversation. So, Chuck, if you chase a rabbit and you wander around in your conversation, I've hung out with you a lot. You're yeah. good at that. Yeah. That's exactly what we're here for. Cool. Good. So how's your day? Awesome. Awesome. This is the end of my routine work day, but tomorrow's Friday. And uh, actually, the my the lovely Miss D and I are going to jump in the RV and head down towards the uh, Corpus Christi area for the weekend. So that'll be kind of cool. Did you guys buy an RV? Or you we to- did. That big behemoth thing you saw in the photographs on Facebook. Yeah. It's a 28-foot RV. But it's when it's just the two of us, it's big enough to actually be roomy inside because mm-hmm. it's got the slide outs and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's also large enough that if we want to add the grandkids, we have two grand boys, our daughter Heather's uh, kids. And then if we want to add a couple other people, there's enough room for that. So it's it, 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 it fits the bill for what we need. It works. And you got the RV. I A lot of people have asked me why I haven't had you on the show in the past. And you found out in my Facebook message. You're in radio, mm-hmm. so uh, first of all, easiest guest to ever brief on how to use a microphone. <laughs> it's in front of your face. Congratulations. But uh, you wake up at like 3 in the morning to do morning radio. Is that correct? Yeah, I have one of those. Uh, for people in radio, it's not that uncommon, but for most occupations it is. I work a split shift, so I'm up at 3.30 in the morning. I do a morning show that's from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then I'm out the door. But then one of my other jobs is to do the traffic reporting in the afternoon for all three of our Cox Media Group stations in in Houston. So I go back at uh, two o'clock or so in the afternoon and get out of there, you know, after my last uh, traffic break. So it's, it's an eight hour day. It's just split in half. I've always been hesitant to ask you because I knew the three o'clock in the morning thing. I'm like, who wants to hang out here till nine, nine thirty at night? But I'd be up that early. But. Now it makes more sense. You get yeah. to nap during the day. Yeah, there's a it's it's a weird schedule, but over time you learn to make it work. I've been doing it for you know off and on for 25 years. So I mean, you got to make the commute twice in a day. 
I do. That's uh, that's the other downside is you have double the commuting costs. I'm fortunate that I work for a company that understands that, and so you know part of the compensation package is understanding the needs of the employee. So it's a great company to work for. Have you guys been impacted by the whole COVID thing? Have you had to broadcast from home? Or yeah, we've got. A, I'm still in the studio as an essential employee, um, but uh, a lot of our broadcasting is being done remotely through technology. Folks working from home. Um, we're shifting a lot of their, our administrative tasks to home-based for the time being. And, and like a lot of companies, I think there will be some big adjustments when everything's finally back up and running. Uh, companies are learning that maybe not everybody needs to be in the office. It's expensive yeah, it, to have them in it there. It seems you know? like uh, a lot of companies are you know, less overhead and yeah. more productivity because people are just it is somewhere that they're comfortable and they get right sure. into it. And it's, it sounds like a lot of people are unexpectedly not going back to work at work. And I haven't heard anybody complain yet. No. Nope. You know, the folks that are being working from home. I mean, there's, there's some adjustments. You have to self-motivate. You know, you, you, can't, uh, you can't slough things off because it'll catch up with you. Just because you're at home doesn't mean that your work isn't being monitored. So some adjustments. But, yeah, it's at the end of the day, man, this is America and we're going to make things happen. How, how did you get into radio, Chuck? Uh, through skydiving. It, oh really? I always uh, thought the radio oh, came first. No, it's one of the coolest stories in my in my career. Um, all my life, I had been told by friends, you know, hey, you got a radio voice, blah blah. And, but everybody with any that's set just of what they hears say that, right? To an ugly person, that's right? exactly right. You would do <laughs> great in radio. <laughs> you would do great in radio. So I was uh, I was a partner uh, out at, in Scott at Skydive Houston, the original uh, company that was out there. And I left the company for a laundry list of reasons. It was just a partnership gone bad. No big deal. And I had been teaching uh, a kid named Sam Pruitt, who was the son of Jim Pruitt, who was uh, Stevens and Pruitt fame here in Houston. Shock jocks. They used to say that they people would call them Howard Stern on steroids. They were that bad. And anybody that lived back here at that time remembers that. Well, I was teaching Jim Pruitt's son to skydive, and I had been asked to do an exhibition jump into one of the uh, Stevens and Pruitt Humane Ranch fundraising parties. It was a big outdoor thing, and I had done that when I was still with the old company. So we jumped in there, and that's how I met all these guys. And then when I left the company, I was literally having lunch with Sam one day, and his dad called, Jim Pruitt called, and said, hey, the guy that answers our phones is sick. He'll probably be out tomorrow. Could you come in and answer phones for us? You know, voluntary basis. And Sam said, no, I've got an appointment. He looks at me and goes, hey, you want to go answer phones for the morning show tomorrow morning? I'm like, okay. And so I went in and I started answering phones and I just never left. It, it just it just kind of snowballed. So. That's awesome. I've known you now for 15 years and actually I'd never realized that you fell, literally just fell right into radio. Yeah, I did. It's crazy. Um, something that a lot of people don't know here in the Houston area, just because our jumper scene is so young now, is you also used to own another drop zone called Skydive America. Skydive USA. Skydive USA now, in we, but Skydive America was in Beaumont. They were sort of a, a sister drop zone. Everybody knew each other from the two DZs. So. Yeah, Skydive uh, was in Wharton, right? Wharton USA? Down, on, uh, down on 59, uh, right out there on the highway, the Wharton Municipal Airport. People that go to that direction for duck and goose hunting, <laughs> they're very familiar with that airport. Yeah. They fly there. I, uh, I think I've shared with you my old drop zone owner, a place I used to work, uh, a guy named Bob Doherty actually yeah. bought uh, the rights to the property. He was going to use it and reopen yep. there. And I'm, I originally was going to move to Houston to move to Wharton to actually help run that really? drop zone. So that was the original plan for me, and uh, we rented planes from the Boyds, our, mm. our drop zone in Indiana, and Steve Boyd told uh, my DZO, Bob Doherty, hey, we want a dude who's not only multi-rated, but will do all the ratings. Back then, oh, yeah. 
people at Spaceland were video guys and only video guys. STP guys, and they only did whatever they did. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I want to do everything. I get bored if I do the same thing all day long. <laughs> and so myself, uh, you know Dennis Anderson, uh, yeah. him and I came in at the same time, and we'd worked together in Indiana for four or five years. And uh, moved here and, and came here for a winter, and kind of like your radio job, I got stuck here somehow. Um, I've loved everything about Houston except for the geography. Um, Meaning what? Man, it's, it's such a boring place to live as far as like, where do you go to hang out, the fun things to do? I like mountains. I like oceans. I like trees. Yeah, we're, we're definitely not the exploration capital of the world <laughs> as far as mountains and whatnot. You don't like the ocean out there? Dude, uh, man. Our <laughs> lovely, lovely ocean and beach. No? I've never been out there. <laughs> not <laughs> once. Our not once trash. in eight years. You have three inches visibility in the Gulf. I mean, come on. Don't complain. Bro, that's six inches. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, that's six inches. Wow. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, it, it's horrible, but the one thing that I have loved, well, one thing, obviously, the economy. We've, we've done really well as an economy in mm-hmm. general, but I, I caught up with a really good friend a couple of days ago, and he asked me about how Houston's doing with the riots, especially with... Um, Oh, my God. Uh, what's his name who just passed? Oh, my God. George oh, Floyd? Thank you, George, yeah, Floyd. George Floyd. I'm like, bro, George Floyd is buried like a mile, literally a mile from my house. They closed down my neighborhood so people wouldn't come mm-hmm. into my neighborhood for that funeral. Not that we were worried about riots, but people would just park through the neighborhood. And to see how Houstonians don't riot when we win the World Series, don't riot when we have floods, don't riot when George Floyd is buried, how the Floyd family asked HPD, Houston Police Department, to escort his son, man. Houstonians are some of the best people I've lived around. I absolutely adore the people of Texas. So as much as I hate the geography, I'd rather live in Oregon if that helps. Man, (laughs) the the people of Houston have really been just phenomenal. It's a cool town. There's no doubt about that. I stumbled into it when I met my wife. I was in the military uh, in 87 when we met. And when I got out of the military in 1990, I had a ready-made home with a wife and kids and a dog and everything else just ready to go. So that's how I ended up in Houston. But I love this town. It, it's, it's been said that Houston is the largest, uh, the smallest large town in the world or the largest small town in the world or whatever because mm-hmm. it's a very unpretentious, very uh, friendly, welcoming uh, community. And We're not Dallas. <laughs> I love you, Dallas. Don't, don't, yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Toughest room in radio right here. D- Dallas is the L.A. of Texas is what I've heard. Uh, That's LA what D- you've heard. Yeah, yeah I've heard that a lot. I don't know if it has that feel, but I just don't, I definitely don't enjoy Dallas the same way that I enjoy here. I, I do love Dallas. I enjoy Dallas. We have Skydive Spaceland Dallas. Uh, even before that, I've spent a lot of time at Skydive Dallas as an mm-hmm. examiner doing courses but, for him. But about this, have you spent much time in Dallas, like inside the city? Yeah. yeah. What do you like about it? Man, they've got it's some full of shit. There's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> they've good. got some really. I went good there for St. Patty's Day one time, and that they've was got cool. some really. Yeah, cool how spots. old were you, and how drunk were you? Exactly. <laughs> really are, good food. Are there really viewers lighting up the keyboard right now from Dallas? Oh, no one cares. You, <laughs> no, and we're not going to listen. No, no our, our Dallas viewers are probably making fun of Dallas with us right now. Oh wow. Um, no, man, they've got some really good food, really good spots. Um, when we went there for Heath and Paula's wedding, the Fort Worth area was cool. Uh, PIA, you, well, you didn't stick around for PIA. All the stuff around that Dallas. That was pretty cool. They, how they laid all that out as far as where we were in the city and all yeah, that stuff. It's super good. Yeah, distinct personalities. The but traffic yeah. is terrible. It, it seems like a, like a child just drew on a map. They scribble, hey, we'll put this there and this there. Yeah. You go three miles, you have to change interstates Austin's to stay on the same. It's weird. Uh, man, Austin's horrible. See, Austin yeah. feels different. Like Austin's traffic sucks. but Because it me, doesn't have a loop. Well, it just feels like there are too many people crammed in a small spot. Now you realize, you guys realize realize that I feel like I'm at work right now because you talk <laughs> traffic. We're talking, we're talking like traffic, we're and we've got an accident on six ten coming <laughs> down on two eighty eight. There's a speed trap. 
Be safe out there, folks. I was warned that it's a freewheeling interview. I was. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to go from this to USPA, so oh, it's more great. Like, do you make helicopter noises when you do traffic? <laughs> no, they used to, that, that's an old thing. That's, that's an a, oil thing? No, or old it's thing. an old well, thing. Well, I figured no that's why you did it. Oh, yeah. Get it. Uh, old jokes. Old thing. So is there still traffic helicopters? Um, there are helicopters that are typically, uh, they serve the traffic industry, but they are usually the news guys, the news cameras. Um, there's so much technology now as far as freeway sensors and freeway cameras. And I mean, it's, we have databases that are just loaded. I mean, if there's a pothole out there, we know about it um, right off the computer screen. So it's not as needed as it used to be. But if it turns from a traffic thing into a news story because something blows up or, you know, and you have to close an entire freeway. At that point, we do the easy thing. We tune, we tune into the news that, that just went live from a helicopter and we just watch what's going on. So it's just it's it's all about information input is what it boils down to. I've wondered a lot about uh, like local news and how viewership has probably gone down a lot over the last you know ten fifteen years mm-hmm. with everything being on online, and then drone technology being what it is. It's like man, yeah. how do these news stations even justify paying for that helicopter? That stuff may be going away slowly but surely. I mean, if you think about it, traffic reporters had to fly around, and we don't need to do that anymore. Uh, so they're probably next. And the drone technology, man, that's a game changer for every industry. Yeah, I'm sure the people who had just bought into the uh, you know, the helicopter videography world, if that's how they were going to start working on all these big Hollywood like productions. Crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the 400-pound camera it. hanging from underneath yeah. your helicopter. So, hey, let me fly my one-pound DJI drone that's going to yeah. give you equal quality 4K video. And by the way, I can program the route, and it'll just come right back to me when yeah. it's done. Right. Yeah. I can go like have a sandwich or yeah. something. But uh, I wanted to get back to, to you and Wharton. What, what year was that that you were doing that drop we, zone? We opened in 97. We closed down in the summer of 2000. Okay. Uh, the motivation was, uh, wow, the motivation was pretty basic. I had two teenage kids that were raised in the sport. Mm. I met uh, Justin's sister, Heather, and him when they were five and three. Heather was five. He was three. Met their mother, fell in love, got married less than a year after I met her. Uh, we became life partners. And uh, so my kids were DZ kids, like a lot of the kids that we see every weekend. And so uh, both of the kids wanted to get started early. Um, I was a BSR guy, a basic safety requirements guy. I wasn't going to bust the BSRs to get my kids in the air, but 16 was the minimum back then by USPA uh, regulations or BSRs. So we wanted to get them started then, and obviously nobody's going to take a 16-year-old in the state of Texas because of the way our liability uh, laws are set up. So we opened Skydive USA. And uh, I think uh, Heather was maybe a year and a half from being 16 when we opened up out there. And it was a total family operation, mm-hmm. typically Friday through Sunday. Uh, we ran turbines, but we were a small DZ, kind of a club feel. Uh, we had 25 student rigs and three tandem rigs. If that tells you anything about what we were trying to do, we were trying to build a population of skydivers. And it worked pretty well. Um, and so uh, got Heather and Justin both started in the sport. And then when Justin was about to turn 18... D and I decided we didn't want to be on the business end of the sport anymore. So we did an asset sale to Skydive Houston, the same folks where I had been a partner some, what, 18 years earlier or whatever it was, uh, and left the business, closed the doors, turned in our instructional ratings and said, we want to focus on different aspects of the sport now. So that's that's how I ended up at Spaceland and organizing and that sort of thing. How did you enjoy owning a drop zone? Uh, I loved it. My wife hated it. Um, it's very difficult on a family. My wife, uh, the lovely Miss D, she has always maintained a full-time career in the mortgage industry. Um, and so during the ups and downs of starting a business or coming up with some phenomenal idea, sometimes they pan out, sometimes they don't. 
she was always the mainstay. She would make sure the bills got paid, that I could go chase our dream type, uh, the dream aspects of our Chase of our, our dream. Lives. Yeah, our your, dream. Your oh, dream, right? It was our dream, yes. <laughs> By all means. Come just on, keep honey. telling her that. Free jumps, honey. Free jumps. Just focus on Anyway, um, <laughs> and so uh, we got the kids started and closed down shop, and then I started focusing on other aspects of the sport, which was kind of cool because it allowed me to completely unplug from having to be there. I got to, I got to choose to be there. Nice. So. Yeah, D is a skydiver as well. She is about three thousand, just over three thousand jumps. She's uh, she's not retired. She's on a little hiatus. Uh, I made the mistake one evening of uh, asking if she wanted to sell her gear. Uh, I'll never make that mistake again. Whoops. Uh, no, I'm, I, I, I'm I'm being somewhat facetious there, but no, she's a she's on a on a running focus right now. She when she uh, left skydiving uh, on a hiatus, she took up running and then endurance racing. Get, did an Ironman, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so wow. she's very very dedicated when it comes to achieving goals. So uh, did did Heather continue to skydive? Because I know the story with Justin. Yeah, no, she's 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 non-current. She's got a couple hundred skydives. Um, she's uh, she did. We always say she did uh, college, marriage, baby, college, baby, college. So she's she's a very very busy lady. Um, she's a, a school teacher up in uh, outside of uh, in Decatur, outside of Fort Worth, um, and she's also. Um, uh, she's she's working on working toward being a principal now. She's got her certification. And then when she's not doing that, she does weekends at the Wise County Sheriff's Office as a dispatch supervisor. So she's just, you know, she's just super busy. Uh, but she, Heather was the one that she, she never got a signal in AFF. She was, you know, she was raised around it. Um, she taught her first jump course to me to take her first jump course. It was okay. she's but she was that's her. She's the she's very alpha. Uh, and then Justin was the exactly the opposite. He just said, I just want to get through this, you know, let's just, just get me off student status pop. That's all mm-hmm. I need. So, uh, so that's, so obviously Justin has boatloads of jumps, but that's Heather's story. Uh, a lot of people have seen, there's a photograph that I post on my Facebook wall fairly routinely because the memory comes up. There's a photograph of myself and D and both of the kids in a four-way line. That's exactly what I was going to ask yeah. if you guys had, had jumped that, all, that, all that these was, together. That was posing for uh, Boston's camera. He went up and, and shot that for us. Justin was in town from Arizona, and uh, Heather was in town that entire week because I believe it was summertime. She was a teacher. So we sent her down to Spaceland, got her recurrent. Um, in fact, I think it was John that, that uh, did a recurrency with her, and then we went up and did that four-way, got photographs of it. Uh, and then the photograph that is on the Gravity Lab uh, logo tonight, that little four-way diamond, that's part of that or another jump on that same day. Got that photograph. That photograph was 12 years in the making because by the time Justin was old enough to jump, Heather was off doing college things and whatnot, and we just never could get all four of us not working on the drop zone at the same, on the same day. And so we never got that opportunity in 12, until 12 years later. So. I feel I felt lucky having seen that happen. I remember I that know. happening, and you are in, in the most respectful way such a proud papa. And I'm, I'll talk about that in a little bit more. But I have never watched you with a bigger, cheesier grin on your face <laughs> than the day you made that skydive. And there are quite a few pictures of you skydiving in the, on the internet, as you probably know. Yeah, here and there. when I figured out that was one of the options, I just I, I couldn't pass it up because I know how much they meant to you. Yeah. But one thing, speaking of proud papa, I, I want to throw out there is you keep saying obviously Justin, obviously Justin, but I don't think it's obvious to everybody. Now, if you are friends with Chuck, this is where I poke at you being the proud papa. You know exactly who his son is because I I would be bragging if Justin Price was my kid as well, man, because he's one of the most badass pilots ever. Um, but who is Justin? Who is your son? Wow. Um, 
Justin uh, is uh, currently serving with the Performance Design Factory team as one of their competitors. Uh, and prior to that, he spent four years with Arizona Airspeed uh, as their uh, camera flyer. Um, he is probably the hardest working person I've ever met in the sport. His his training and work ethic are, are amazing. A lot of people don't know that we're father and son until they meet, until they hear something like this because we have different last names. He, he became my son when he was three. So we, the cool part about the relationship with both of my kids, including Justin, of course, is that we got to choose one another, and that was super cool. And, and so that we have a very special relationship. But he's, uh, he, he has really commanded his career, and we're right, not just the family. I mean, obviously, we're very proud of him, and I know his friends are very proud of him, but the, the really cool part about it is that, is that the skydiving scene in Houston that watched him grow up and watched him become a skydiver, all those people are really extra proud of him because they kind of look at it like he's repping Houston. So that's a really cool part of the, of the whole thing. Do you have uh, any real memorable jumps with him? Like any uh, any two ways that really stand out? You know, when he first started jumping, we we made sure that all of the instructors on our staff had the opportunity to jump with him. So really early on, I only made a, a handful of jumps with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that really comes to my mind is when he came into town. Um, golly, it's been six seven years ago now, but he was in town for something from Skydive Arizona, and he and myself and a couple other people went up on a tracking dive, and I asked him if he would lead it, and he said okay, and. He, uh, by the end of it, I was, I had booty suit on. And by the end of it, I was struggling as hard as I could just to maintain. I had never watched, and he was like in street clothes or whatever. And I'm like, wow. So that one rung my bell because you look at your kid and you think, oh, he couldn't be, oh yeah, he is that fast, isn't he? Because, you know, you think of them, you think of them as your kids. And then one day somebody asked me when he got better than me. And I told him, I don't know, but it was a long, long time ago. I can tell you that. It happened so fast. You didn't see it. I'd actually known your personality for a long time prior to Houston because of something most of our listeners don't know about called drama zone. I mean, dropzone.com. Um, one of the things I liked about dropzone.com is something that you did and I both I did as well is my name on dropzone.com was DJ Marvin. There was no hiding behind a persona. Um, there was no hidden moniker like I was accountable to my name. So when mm-hmm. I moved here, I'm like, oh, I know who this Chuck Akers guy is right away. And I had quickly gone to Waller and I'd met Justin Price, not knowing your two relationship yet. Um, I'd known of Justin Price because of a guy named Kip Low Miller, who I'm sure you're yeah, familiar Kip, with his I name. Kip. And a, Justin tells me who his papa is. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I have no effing clue, man. You have hair. What's going on? You guys can't be. I'm bald too, guys. If you don't know, it's, it's, I can it's a say, thing between yeah, DJ. I could say it. You're you're like a baldest if you make fun of us. I'm going to join you here pretty soon, so yeah. it's all right. We all get there I'll, I'll sooner there. or later. But uh, man, at that AFF course, I first met JP, as a lot of us call him. Yeah, freaking hardworking. I mean, that kid doesn't know quit. He doesn't know stop. He doesn't know how not to keep going. And he, he is absolutely driven. So if you guys and gals have no clue who Justin Price is, you need to look him up. If you have ever have, have an opportunity to get coaching with Justin, I have not seen him coach today. But when he was very early on, I'd see him coach. Mm-hmm. And if that's how he coached when he wasn't great, and he was great then. But now, oh, my God, he's unbelievable. And I have seen some yeah. of his online little seminars that he does. What, what, what? What a great kid. And back he can slice and dice his swoops, which is kind of interesting. He, he uses terms like don't even sound like English to me, but they're, <laughs> but they're fun to watch. But the, the, one of the interesting things there is that um, I hear all the time from people who come back. You know, he's stationed out in Eloy, and he is a, he's a Flight One coach. So for anybody who's working with Flight One, you're familiar with what they do. 
Um, and uh, I'll have folks from here or from wherever contact me after they come back from Arizona and say, hey, I met your son. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then the, almost always the first thing out of their mouth is, yeah, I was doing this something, something. And I walked over and he said, hey, can I give you a pointer? And I said, yeah. And the next thing you know, I had that little problem fixed. And it was just an interaction on the drop zone. And that's all it was. And to me, that's what makes this sport what it is, is that we, just like when you go to a competition, you just, people go to the nationals, and the next thing you know, the national champions are coaching you on your exit or whatever. And that doesn't happen in every sport. So I, I, I look up to Justin for that as well, that he's, that he's very concerned about making sure that we're all giving back. I think Justin's doing two things there. Number one, I know he's giving back a thousand percent, but I've watched him do this move and it's a move I do as well. You just fucked up big time. I'm not trying to help you be better. I'm trying to help you be safe. And I, I hope everybody who's listening can learn from Justin and doing this approach. Don't go yell at him. Say, hey, can I give you a tip to help you with that? Because suddenly like, you're going to make me better. Whether you're one of the most badass swoopers there is, JP, or whether you're just somebody sharing some good knowledge. The, what mm -hmm. His approach is usually to make you better, but sometimes to make you safer. And I think he's such a great example in both competition and in safety. And uh, really, that's where our our paths cross because you're the competition guy, I'm the safety guy, mm. and JP, he just does it all, man. He makes us all look bad. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, speaking of the competition guy, um, Elsa, I need you to, for a second, minimize your browser there. That's the minus button on a PC. Uh, on the left oh. side, I'm you, a Mac person. So. You Take can see the <laughs> there is a picture of Chuck with a red shirt on. Yeah, oh open that up to full screen. Put that on the feed. Oh my God. A great fan wow. named Logan Donovan wanted to share this with you. <laughs> Logan Donovan. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know Logan, right? Is, is this gonna? Is it gonna be? It's on gonna eventually come up over share. there. Um, it? it takes a second. Can you pull that around? Yeah, if you need to turn. Oh, it. that's rich. That is. Oh, that's so nice. guys and gals, this <laughs> is Captain Chuck Luke Picard. That's so hilarious. Logan hit me up the other day, and she's like, "Oh my god, the picture of Chuck wow. with the white background. That Where is... do you get it? I've got a great idea. She's going to be sharing and sending it to you after that's this. That's funny. That is really I'll, well done. I'll use that as a profile pic. I mean, that's good. <laughs> it's that's good. Yeah, All yeah. you got to do is make a little USPA. No, there it is. is. Oh, is it over? I can't yeah. see it from here. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's. I, I'll own it's, that one. You know what? I'm going to get a shirt like that. Dude, it is. I can do it all the way around. So right yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So God, that is from Logan Donovan. Logan hit me up with a great idea. She that's had pretty to share funny. It. And I really want to dive into some USPA stuff because okay. I think you and I both know we could spend the next days talking about USPA. Oh, you and I board media. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I want a lot of people to learn. But right now, I really want to go ahead and look at the elephant in the room. And what it is, is today USPA released a statement that Z Hills, with USPA's cooperation and, and uh, commitment, has said, we are not willing to host nationals. We're standing down for these medical and these safety reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and USPA's part of their statement says, we are looking for other potential vi venues. Mm -hmm. um, I firmly believe that USPA is doing a good job and doing the right thing, but I really want people to hear from you and what your take is on this. Sure. Um, any anybody who thinks this and hasn't been the most fluid left turn right turn one day everything's great the next you know we're going in the right direction for the covid the next thing we're not so so put all that aside um uspa's position on this um from my perspective which means technically officially is the perspective of the organization is that uspa has an obligation by our own charter by our own governance to host the U.S. National Championships, both skydiving and parachuting. It's, it's part of our responsibility. 
So we don't view moving forward or not moving forward as a choice that we're making based on what we may think is the right thing to do based on the outside situation. Our obligation is to attempt to hold a national skydiving championships, and we have to move forward under the assumption that that will happen until such time that the facts on the ground say it's either not safe or it's not financially feasible or whatever may stand in our way. But we're going with the logic that we would rather be prepared if it is possible than not be prepared and find out it would have been possible. And that's all we're doing. So the official statement, yes, we did announce today after Z Hills uh, publicly announced that they were that they had canceled. Um, that decision was made for anybody who didn't see the post from Z Hills. That decision was made because of the real world situation on the ground in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Um, two, three months ago, the, if you think about it, the Nationals wasn't due to start until November. So two or three months ago, it was so far out that it wouldn't have made any sense to say, well, we're going to have to scrap it. Well, how do you know you're going to scrap it? It's six months from now. That's a long, long time. And we had no idea whether or not we'd still be dealing with this. So the closer you get to the Nationals, the more you start saying, okay, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. So anytime those issues become insurmountable, at that time, USPA will very gladly and very publicly say, we did the best job we could trying to host this Nationals, and the situations, the, the things that are beyond our control are simply not going to allow it. So the, the, what we said publicly in a statement today is true. Z Hills did bow out. We were okay with that. They did so with our full support, knowing full well that they were in an impossible situation. Uh, and we don't want that to happen to any of our group members or, or any drop zone at all or any skydivers. Um, so that we moved through that process with no qualms on either side. Um, and now we are continuing to look at options to possibly still continue to host the Nationals. And once again, for anybody who's really, and, and there's been a lot of people really down on USPA for continuing to even consider moving forward. And so I would remind those folks, we're not moving forward. We are moving forward logistically to make sure if it, it does end up possible that we are prepared. And I think that's what the athletes would want us to do. Um, you know, some people have taken a hard line and said, well, if you don't want to go get into Nationals, then don't go. Well, it's not that easy because some people are very conscious of, of, of what their fellow skydivers might be getting themselves into. So, and, and we're conscious of that as well. So the bottom line is Z Hills bowed out with everyone's blessing. It was, it was a deal that was literally put together by USPA and Z Hills to make sure that everybody was able to get out of there you know, properly uh, and that we are still looking at possible ways to host a nationals. And I think we have an announcement, uh, an update, I think, on August 1. I'd have to go back and, and check on that. I'll probably get a text message on that one here. Um, but that's, that's the official statement. And, and, of course, we can't talk about specifically what we are doing to try to further the cause because there's confidentiality and contractual agreements sure, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, so the, the fact that we're not saying exactly what we're doing right at this moment isn't because we don't want to tell anybody. It's because we have business obligations. I, I do have a question from Facebook. Okay. Um, Courtney Lee is asking if um, who's making the decision about when it's going to become safe to proceed. Is there a doctor or scientist if you guys are well, consulting with? Yeah, we have a doctor, uh, Doc Kramer, who's a, uh, oh, what do you call him? Flight surgeon, all that stuff. And so for a lot of times for general guidance and advice for somebody to unravel the, the legalese that a, that a government might put out, we will call on him. Um, 
and at and of course we always have people we can go to. If we had a if this really came down to the line and somebody said, "Wow, you guys are right on the fence here." We'll probably call an expert the same way we call USPA's attorneys when we have something legal that might be right on the line. So the bottom line is we would, of course, seek support. But here's the, here's the easiest way to say it. For the sake of example, let's just pick a state and say Louisiana. If we set said November 1, Louisiana, if by, say, October 1, Louisiana said, hey, life's great, we're ending all of our restrictions, life is good, then we would probably move forward with the nationals because our athletes would want us to do that. But it would only be, and again, it would be, there's going to be a date sensitive. We don't know what that is yet, but because I know in the next few days we have a, an announcement made. But at some point, a date sensitive, a date specific will be a line in the sand will be drawn and everybody will hunker down and say, here's the pros, here's the cons, what do we do? But the one thing I will definitely say is nothing we would do would ever go against the guidance that's issued by the health authorities, whether it be a county, a city, a state or national if, if that state, Louisiana, or whatever state we would choose to do it in, if that state says we, we won't allow businesses to open or we're still saying you have to social distance, which, of course, is almost impossible in an airplane, at that point, we would completely reevaluate whether or not it's even worth mo- trying to move forward, let alone succeeding in it. Mm-hmm. So I, hopefully that answered Courtney's question. Yeah. That sounds all too rational. <laughs> like especially, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. Look at <laughs> but, but with how this how this year has gone and how things have changed and how I quickly know, they man. change around the, the COVID situation, everything you're saying to me sounds totally rational. I wonder if there are uh, specific uh, objections that you've heard that uh, that. It- it's, it's, it's exactly what you would think. It's folks who don't feel like that's a prudent decision to have a nationals. You're trying to kill grandma. Yeah, that one. And okay. that's, yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to fault anybody on either side of that argument because there's a lot of valid and invalid information on both sides of this thing. Um, but from our perspective, it's, it's, you know, it's, we're going to do it if we can do it safely. But yes, the, to answer your question, the only real, uh, negative comments have been covid related they haven't been like well why bother or anything you know like mm-hmm. that because uh survey said that the uh, a majority of the people more the majority of the athletes said they would still come but it wasn't like a 90 percent overwhelming majority so it, you know like everything else with split, COVID, just like everybody split. else yeah, in it's the a public, split right? so um and there's there's no real good decision you know if we say scrap the nationals every competitor that was planning on coming is going to be feel slighted and if we don't scrap the nationals the folks who are concerned for any number of reasons won't be happy and there's you know there's no getting around that i think the bottom line and and nick said this when the drop zone went to open back up he's the manager at, at spaceland is I'd rather have a plan to be pre- be prepared to open. In this case, I'd rather have a plan to be prepared to compete and it not happen yeah. than all of a sudden be told we're going to compete and not have a plan. So right now, USPA and every observation I've made, and you and I have had conversations about this already, and I've spoke to other people already with USPA, um, it's we have a plan to move forward. We're not necessarily going to execute that plan, exactly. but we're prepared to serve the members. Yeah. And and, Man, and that's good. And the very important part of that message is that we're not doing what we're doing by choice. We're doing it by obligation. Our governance says we do this and that if we have the ability to do it and we have the financial ability and if and if we can keep people safe, it's it's USPA's obligation to hold a US nationals. It is a USPA event. And so all we're doing is being prepared in the event that it can be done safely. And if it can't Better luck next year. I fully believe USPA is prepared to postpone nationals, but I also believe they're prepared to move forward. And the only way to be able to do both is to be ready. 
Yep. To go with postpone, you can't be ready to do both. And I absolutely love how you guys are are doing what some of you might realize might be great, might be what we can do. And you realize it might be a waste of time, but regardless, you're ready to help the membership, ready mm-hmm. to serve the members. I don't think most people realize the two largest committees that USPA Board of Directors has is safety and training. And I think it's really obvious why. Sure. Competition. And by far, these are the two biggest committees. You're either serving on one or the other or you're an advisor to one or the other. They're the only two committees that have no other committees running at the Mm -hmm. same time besides each other. Um, Man, it is about the membership. It is about the people. And and really, thank you to the board. And and those who don't think that USPA is not listening and those people who don't think USPA is not approachable and won't talk to you have never tried to talk to Chuck Akers. (laughs) (laughs) Because, motherfucker, if you try to talk to Chuck Akers, you're going to have a hard time getting away. We'll talk. We'll talk. (laughs) I did make a joke earlier today. What's that? That it might be the podcast that I speak the very least on between the two of you guys. You can jump in anytime. No, it's it's good. It's good. It's easy to listen. All right. One of our jokes on the show is not really our jokes. Our goals is to get guests that you can hit a play button on and just let them roll. And sure. I'm sure on radio you have the same goal. Easy interviews are ask them a question and sit back. You know, yeah. And and I and I was willing to bet money that you would be just that um, because you have an opinion yeah. and fortunately a formed opinion. And so you've got a lot of good things to say about it. And, and I want to go straight to that next topic of if you think USPA is not listening, if you think USPA won't hear you out and you don't think USPA will talk to you, go to USPA.org and look up under Governance Board of Directors Chuck Akers. Go to your parachutist. Look for Chuck Akers. And I can speak to any, uh, not any, but most of the board members and tell you almost all of them are that accessible, but I guarantee you. Chuck is as accessible as they freaking get, dude. Yeah, the phone number that's listed is my cell phone number, and it's it's turned on 24-7. Um, at night, if it only rings once and rolls to voicemail, it doesn't get answered. But if it rings again, I figure something's somebody really needs to talk to me. So at that point, I get up. So if you're the guy that calls me back and it's not important, oh, man, <laughs> you're in trouble now. Uh, but, yeah, it's that's it's uh, we are trying to be as responsive as we absolutely can be. And the one thing that I'll never do is not find a way to help a member. Um, as the regional director here in the Gulf region, if somebody needs something, I'm their go-to guy. If it's a USPA thing and there's a, a hiccup somewhere or whatever, uh, or an SNTA if it's a, a, a problem with safety that they feel like isn't getting addressed, um, which is in line, right, because the regional directors appoint the SNTA. So you're, you're kind of talking to your regional director in a way if you speak to your SNTA. Um, uh, but the... Uh, the the relationship between the regional directors and and their community uh, is a super important one. And and as as the president, when I get that same phone call, first question I have because I don't know everybody. First question I have is uh, where do you live? And the guy says Nebraska. But <laughs> but maybe we met at a boogie, right? Yeah. Or maybe he's a friend of a friend. And so I I don't you know I don't snap at him. But what I what I do is listen to what they have to say analyze what they have to say, because it doesn't always go to the regional director. Sometimes it's something different. Uh, but typically, I'll refer to the regional director, not because I don't want to help them, but because I don't want to step on that regional director's toes. The, the regional exactly. director should be the person uh, in that region that kind of has their finger on the pulse, that whole catchphrase thing, that kind of knows what's happening in their region. And mm-hmm. if somebody comes to them, a lot of times they either already know or have an inkling what the problem is or whatever. So I, that's why I try to refer people back. But yeah, I'll, I'll take a call 24-7 if it's skydiving related. If you don't think your 
directors are listening to you. I, I was uh, Chuck's predecessor, which makes me your daddy. No, <laughs> I was Chuck's predecessor. And while I served on the board, I watched a regional director say at a vote, I believe A. My constituents have spoke to me and want B, so I'm voting B. And yeah. I've watched directors vote against their own feelings, their own propensities, their own thoughts to vote for their constituents. Guys and gals, if you don't think USPA is not listening to you, it's because you're not talking to them. It really is. It's they, they want to hear your voice. I, you guys beg to hear from us. Yeah, the, several of the, uh, if we can dispel some myths. Oh, before Please I go do. any further, I want to make sure I, I say congratulations to Albert Birchtold. Uh, Great yeah, choice. I love when smiles light up in the room when you mention a particular name. Yes. Albert Birchtold uh, is our USPA treasurer, and he's a national director from Florida. Uh, he spent the last 14 years as the marketing director for performance design. Uh, great guy, fantastic guy, really smart, really skilled, really talented, but most importantly, he has some really serious people skills and some serious management skills. So Ed Scott, our current executive director, will be retiring at the end of the year, and we just went through the process of, you know, where you – call the candidates, all that kind of stuff, the interview process, you know, put them on the hot seat, all the stuff that you would expect. And literally from beginning to end, Albert just stood above everybody. And we had some very, very highly qualified candidates, uh, most of whom had an intricate re, uh, relation, business relationship in the skydiving world. So we had we had some major league players in there wanting that job. Uh, and Albert, like I say, he just rose to the top in every round. So we're super excited about that. I, I, I was so stoked when I saw the, the choice, the pick, um, worked with Albert on the board. He has been, uh, helped me with sponsorship at PD. He's yeah. worked with me there. Um, I've actually worked with conflict with performance designs with, uh, Albert where I've gone to Albert and said, Hey man, there's some issues I'm seeing for or with PD. And I approach him and his ability to deal with people and conflict resolution is so strong. I believe is the next Ed, ED, executive director, for those who don't know the inside verbiage, mm -hmm. is the next Ed. I, I, he is, I, I don't think there could have been a better choice made. His handle on finances is so strong, oh, and, yeah. and that position really needs it. His conflict resolution is so great. His ability to be unbiased in his decision, which is so challenging mm -hmm. to do. Uh, Albert, thank you so much for choosing to step forward yeah. and taking what is a very ungrateful or, 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 or thankless job. People do not understand or appreciate his role. Yeah, he'll uh, he's he'll he's going to hit home runs. We know he is, and we've got some we have some initiatives that we've been kind of poking around at here for the last couple of years that I think will serve our membership better. Uh, some folks have already seen some of the things we're doing, like trying to bring everything online, trying to get rid of the paper trail, uh, getting getting more on like a, a larger online presence, social media presence. Uh, Shannon, uh, Shannon, she goes by Shannon Lee on the uh, Searles. Uh, Shannon Searles, thank you. She, how quickly you forget a name when you don't see it in front of you. Uh, but Shannon is just killing it as our new uh, director of sport promotion. She's incorporating a lot of uh, marketing angles into the things that we already do and it's it's already starting to pay off you remember when we did the videos when the covid thing hit mm -hmm. and they asked me if i'd go and just have a chat with the membership that that all of that stuff and everything that has followed since then uh was was her doing and so we're we're starting to expand on that so and it, it just quick mention cannot say enough about the headquarters staff at uspa no. oh my gosh they do so much with so little um, everybody shares responsibilities, like always more than one person in the building knows how to take care of any particular task. So things don't have to stop just because somebody's not present. There's a, I could go on and on and on about the staff, but suffice to say, Ed Scott and his team at headquarters really do a very, very good job. I have the unfortunate duty to deal with staff all the time at USPA headquarters. I say that cause I have to deal with paperwork. That's the unfortunate yeah. part. 
And regularly as an examiner, candidates will ask me, well, who do I ask for when I call USP? I'm like, whoever answers the phone will be able to help you 90% of the time. Mm. And the 10% they can't, they will make sure you get to the right person right away or as quickly as possible. Um, our headquarters staff is absolutely wonderful. Many of them I've gotten to meet in person and I've got to build personal relationships with. Uh, just part of it is, is if there is a USPA board meeting in your region, go. Oh, yeah. Show up. A, you guys are so stoked to see the peanut gallery actually have peanuts in it. Yeah. Because uh, usually a peanut gallery is one person and a bunch of staff because there's somebody in that region who will show up. If it's sure. in this region, I will show up and I'll throw peanuts at you guys. Yeah. Even if they're just a friend of a director or something, yeah. sometimes they'll stop by. Yeah. Well, we, we've, we've instituted, I say instituted, it's pretty casual, but we had the San Antonio meeting that I ended up being in charge of the party for. And then we ended up having, which was a PIA, uh, a PIA meeting. Uh, or was it? I don't even, no, I don't think that one was not. It was Dallas. Anyway, then we did the same thing again in Dallas, and we're hoping that we can kind of make it a tradition that at each board meeting we do a Saturday night gathering for the skydivers that are within you know a reasonable drive. Um, and the one we did in San Antonio, people got hotel rooms that night at the same hotel the meeting was at, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it we had about a hundred people at the group. Uh, at the uh, what do you call it, general membership meeting, which yeah. usually has seven, you know, or the, so the largest cool. group membership uh, or the membership meetings are always at PIA, mm-hmm. and I've never seen one bigger than we had here in in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. And what that really tells me is how connected Texas jumpers, man, Texas jumpers. Since I've moved here, I've been impressed at how connected Texas jumpers do mm-hmm. stay with the sport. And, and back to it, man, the people of Texas. I, I hate the geography. The tallest thing in Houston's an overpass. It's, it's horrible, man. But the people are so wonderful. Well, somebody asked me one time how they said, "How did you get a hundred skydivers to show up for the general membership meeting?" I said two things. Number one, ask them. We ask them to. It's it, sometimes simply saying, "Hey, guys." This is USPA. This is your organization. You're paying your good money to be part of this. Why don't you come over here? We'll throw a little party. Because, by the way, number two is beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Or skydivers, right? Um, but, but we literally just asked them to and said, look, we'll make sure that we make it fun. We won't drag you through, you know, hours of seminars or anything. And so we brought them in. We had the general membership meeting. Uh, Executive Director Ed Scott went through the financials for the year, which is a pretty uh, boilerplate thing to make sure your members are seeing. Uh asked for questions, gave away some door prizes, and hit the bar. Uh, And actually something unique happened at that one. There were a few headquarters staff members who were given a little recognition, a little bonus. Yes, that's right. Which, if you attended that meeting, those don't normally happen in places like that. And the fact that the board and Ed, the executive director, saw fit to give public recognition to the staff headquarters, the headquarters staff, was phenomenal. It just yeah. shows how much they actually care about what's going on. There. Yeah, we do. It's everybody up there is a rock star. I li- literally, when you call, and one of the by, by the way, one of the philosophies at headquarters is, if at all possible, a human being will answer that phone if you call the main number. Yeah. I mean, always. The, the, if even when somebody goes, sometimes there's only four or five people in the headquarters building. So even if somebody goes to lunch, they hand off phone duties to someone else. They don't want that answering machine to catch the call. I don't think I've ever. Now that you say that, and I've called headquarters a lot. I don't yeah. think I've ever talked to a machine. It's, it's, yeah. it's rare. It's rare. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, I called after hours one time, and the guy asked who he was. He said he had just broken in. So I, <laughs> then he hung up. What? His name was Ron Bell. He doesn't belong oh, there, I promise. Oh. It, it, so Shannon is a name you brought up a little bit ago, yeah. and we actually recently uh, re- had Melissa <laughs> really? Nelson Lowe on the show, mm-hmm. and she had mentioned Shannon's role, and, and Shannon was um, the Pacific director, was it? Um, no, she was a national, national. director, she which was, was really wild because it was her first run at it, and she was elected. And she stood down because she took the job as director of sports promotion. Correct. And one thing that 
you've already mentioned is how some of the social media stuff has happened, but it's beyond that. I see you guys on Instagram nonstop now. Mm-hmm. I as a rate as the rating center, we will post congratulations to uh, Nick Lott for getting his USPA coach rating, and we tag USPA in there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's to help bring attention to that candidate, that person or that guy or gal, so as many as their friends can see it. And all of a sudden, USPA started liking the post. USPA started congratulating Nick Lott. And I think Shannon has really done a great job of that. Um, it really leads me to the question when it comes to social media, has USPA considered airing what could be aired? Because like, some of it's closed session. Some of it's closed door. Those things have to happen. Sure. But have we considered it as an organization airing the board meetings live? I mean, put up a phone. Yeah, that's that gets tossed around. It, it comes it just it's like the age thing, you know, the 1816 or no age. <laughs> it it re, we revisit it constantly because because we have these technologies now. Um, I've had I've heard throughout the throughout the years, some board members are concerned um, that they don't want people uh, watching the feed, and uh, which is kind of silly because, and I'm not pointing at anybody specifically. Sure, it wasn't yeah. even during this term that I heard that, so it could have even been a board member that's not with us anymore. Uh, but mm-hmm. there, there were concerns that some people didn't want people watching, which, uh, like I say, I thought that was a little silly because you could come to the board meeting if you wanted and, and watch all you want, right? It's, it's with the exception of closed session, it's open for any USBA board member that wants to attend. So I don't, I don't personally have a, uh, a problem with it. Obviously, it has to be funded. Somebody has to produce it, all that kind of stuff, which, of course, we've heard of folks who have said, well, I'll volunteer to do that. I'll literally show up, you know, people that maybe own a production company or somebody like you that has all the gear and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not personally opposed to it. But like anything else, we're run by a board and I'm one out of 22 votes. So there would be pros and cons and we would have to work it through the process. Sure. The one thing I learned when I came onto the board four and a half years ago was the word process. Everything mm-hmm. has to go through the process. You can have the best idea in the world. Point of order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you can have the best idea in the world, but we are a board of 22. How, and, and how much do you hate the guy that's always yelling point of order? Uh, gal, I mean. <laughs> we, the, the one that, for anybody who's, if you're a, a, a Robert's Rules geek, you know exactly what we're talking about. That is it for anybody who doesn't know, in formal meetings, there's the whole making motions and seconding motions. It's called Robert's Rules of Order. It's very common for yeah. municipality meetings and things like that. But want there is a there's a, a strategy called uh called a call the question which is robert's rules talk for i'm tired of debating let's vote that's yeah. exactly what you're saying when you do that so the first thing you do is take a vote on whether or not to do that and if you take that if that vote passes then you vote on whatever that motion that we were all arguing about for an hour and a half and it's done you're done somebody said call the vote you voted to call the vote vote I'm like, okay, it's a process. Man, I'm going to, you, you've completely sidetracked where I wanted to go with some of this here, but I think it's a very great time to do so. Okay. Uh, the former president is a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, Jay Stokes. Jay is near yeah. and dear to my heart. He is a mentor to me. He is the man who trained me as an instructor, trained me as an examiner. I have the utmost of respect for Jay. Um, this, uh, uh, even with that respect, you have done such a tremendous job compared to so many of your predecessors, including Jay, much respect to that man, of being one of the most efficient presidents we've ever had. And oh, you're a motor you. mouth just like me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, dude, I just really love how you've been able to keep this board on track. And, and I think not you haven't kept it on track. I think your leadership has shown others how to stay on track. Yeah, they're pretty good at it as long as you give them the vehicle to, to do it on. This is a fantastic board. Um, you know, leadership is a word that gets tossed around kind of loosely, maybe sometimes when it shouldn't be. Um, I find being the president of USPA is, for the most part, 
pretty easy from that perspective because we're a board of a bunch of alphas. Everybody, this board, these people are smart. They're capable. Um, in, in the vast majority of the cases, they're also high caliber skydivers. So, so these are people that know what they're doing, and there's they, they're people that understand our industry. Um, so it doesn't take, you know, I'll, I just help steer the ship between the president, the executive director, and of course the executive committee. We we talk any any number of us talk weekly, sometimes multiple times in a week. Because a lot of what USPA does is really just mundane things that have to be done when you're an aviation-related organization or if you're skydiving, whatever it is. It's a membership organization of 40,000 people. There's just certain things that have to get done. So we tend to do almost everything as a, as a group. I want to hear the input from people. Um, this board doesn't need somebody to stand over them. Every, these people, they know their jobs. So. Have you paid much attention to the membership numbers and how those have changed over time? I have only by uh, by being a member. You know, okay. when I, I started in 1985, and I think we had I don't know 16,000, maybe 13,000. I, I don't remember exactly what the number was. Half of the people in this room hadn't been born yet. That's right. And uh, <laughs> you're she, looking at me. The producers, Elson's over here, just giving away. Half is two of you. Oh, that's true. Are you on camera? Oh, you're all looking at me. Are so. you on camera? Well, I, you need no. to be on camera. You no. Need Twenty-five percent of us can't that. do math. That's right. <laughs> I am looking at you right now. But yeah, to answer your question, and uh, it, yeah, about I, and I do remember that after Point Break, there was a period of time where it was about I think it was about a five-year period where we went from I think fifteen or sixteen thousand active members to like double that in about a five or six-year period. It was astonishing. You said fifteen to sixteen thousand. Yeah, fifteen or sixteen thousand is okay. I think is where we were when I started, okay. or maybe in at nineteen what was it ninety one when Point Break came out, whatever it was, somewhere in that early nineties thing. But it, at any rate, we it just exploded, and it was the right movie at the right time. I hate to say that it's you know the movie was you know part of the what triggered it, but it was. I'm uh, here because of it. You remember that we we called it. Nice. I was I was a full time instructor at the old Spaceland Parachute Center down in League City, and we started referring to that as the Point Break Summer. Um, we did a lot of AFF that summer. Way, of course, back then tandems were not as you know lucrative as they are today, or or as prominent. Um, but the Point Break summer, and I can remember one day I walked. It was a Tuesday morning, and I walked into the classroom, and there were twenty five people waiting on me to give them an AFF level one uh, ground school uh, on a Tuesday morning. That and that was just unheard of back then. There's just, I mean, unless you were one of those big major player drop zones, you know, like California or Florida or something, you you just didn't have that much, that kind of business. Uh, for the most part, but it changed everything. It, it has, and Nick, you ask about uh, chasing the numbers or knowing the numbers. Uh, at every board meeting, one of the executive director's jobs is to report numbers. What's our current membership? About forty thousand. It's right at forty. It uh, it it kind of goes north and south of that, depending on the time of the year and that sort of thing. Obviously, we're we're cyclical in our membership as as we are in issuing of ratings and everything else uh but it, it hovers around 40 grand right now we i think we might have hit 41 during one month or maybe or maybe something close. maybe 42 I was there might yeah. have been the high number yeah but i we really um plateaued there and that's not a bad word because that, that was the point that i was wondering is if, have those numbers really increased and how long has it been since we've seen a significant increase i think we started hitting the 40 numbers and chuck help me if i remember wrong in the last about when did you take over as regional Four and a half years uh, four ago? Four and a half, yeah. So it, about five and a half, six years ago, we jumped from the 35, 36,000 to yeah. the 40,000 range? 
when I look at, uh, you know, we get the, the board, uh, the executive director sends out a monthly report to the board, and it's got a lot of just, you know, routine statistics, statistics how many A licenses were we, did, did we issue last month, how many mm-hmm. ratings, this, that, and the other. And it just allows us to track various metrics uh, loosely, by the way, because you're never sure what the motivation is behind those metrics. Um, but what we've seen over the last, since I've been on the board, it's four and a half years, is that we haven't seen any single dramatic jump. Uh, we see a steady increase a little bit. And if you move backwards, you know, you go two steps forward, one step back. So if you just look at the chart, it's a slow uphill. Uh, but yeah, for the last few years, it's been a, a fairly a fairly flat uphill curve. Um, who knows if there's a reason why or not. It can be anything from the economy to, you know, who knows. Um, personally, I think those would be really great metrics to understand better. You know, why aren't people joining or why in the case of good growth, why are people joining the organization? Um, all that stuff costs money, so it, it ends up being secondary to running the operation. Um, obviously, the COVID thing is going to put a dent in us like it is everybody else, but we keep hacking away. But to answer your question, um, yeah, it's been a just nicking away at, at growth, which is fine as long as we're going in that direction. Did you read Tom Noonan's recent uh, article about where have all the tandem instructors gone? I did not. Did you read this, DJ? Uh, we had this conversation the other day. Uh, I, 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 I know I, I know I referenced the article. I just yeah, wondered if you had... I skimmed uh, it. I, I read it, but not with full comprehension. Well, I thought... Uh, so mainly because I've had the conversation I, with him. I'm in a new role w. in uh, at the drop zone, so which has required me to pay a lot more uh, attention to staffing. Nick's the manager now uh, no, at so Spaceland. It sounds like that's such a... like. I feel like it's not a positive word when it, I say I'm the manager. It, it, it's it, not well, good. You can it's give like yourself a, any title. Head Jumping Bean would be fine, like in Fandango, but... What is it in Fandango? Head Jumping Bean? Jumping Bean. Head Jumping Head jumping be the, the, you the man, chief guy. You need, we need to watch Fandango, apparently. Yeah. Dude, apparently I've, I've never yeah. seen it. And then we're going to oh, call you Jumping wow. Bean. I've never seen it. The most comprehensive first jump course ever, ever. in two minutes. It gave him two, yeah. And I mean, I've seen that. And always watch the horizon. I, I have <laughs> yeah. seen that scene, if that makes sense, what I'm saying right yes, now. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yes, I did a story about Ernie Long when he hit 20,000 jumps. Yeah. And Ernie referenced the movie. And so I used that part of the interview when he was talking about Fandango. So I did find that scene online and steal a, a tiny bit of it to put in. The, Do you know the where that movie product. came from? Yeah, this is so cool. Nope. That scene. There was a film Proof. student in Santa Monica Film School, or I might get the city wrong, who put together a little a little film, a little movie, a, a scene. and that a was, short. It was, yeah. yeah, short. And it was that. And based off of that, all of a sudden you have Kevin Costner and all these other eventually great names yep. in this movie, which honestly, if you watch the whole thing, the story of Dom, if you if you know the yeah. movie, it's kind of a slow, drawn out movie, which I absolutely love and adore. But that scene, man, Marvin uh, is the uh, uh, what, what's skydiving instructor. He was uh, yeah. Gardner. Uh, no, Gardner Barnes was uh, what's his name? Um, the head, the head, be- the head being the head. Uh, I'm pretty uh, sure uh, the pilot Truman Sparks. Truman Sparks. Marvin is his name. I just know that because it's Marvin McIntyre is his name. Yes. And what's interesting about that, and you can find it. I don't want to be a spoiler for anybody that has seen Fandango but doesn't know the origins of it. Uh, but that student that made that little movie short. Now, all it was was that from the moment when they stopped the car at the Pecos Parachute School and challenged the guy to go skydive, who in Fandango was actually Judd Nelson. And so from there until he's back on the ground and they're prying the ripcord out of his hand because he pulled the reserve at the last second. Now he can't let go of the ripcord. Between those two spots, there was a short and it was called proof. And the idea was this kid had to prove he wasn't a weenie, which is what the other guys called him. Mm. 
And uh, and the interesting part about that is, is when they were casting for Fandango, which had Costner and these other fairly big names in it at the time, they're casting and somebody said, well, who are we going to get to be the skydiving instructor? Because the skydiving instructor was this big pot smoking head, dude, hippie guy, you know, in life, devil may care. Everybody's going to be fine here. Just jump up and parachute out. You don't need to. I mean, he was he was, he was horribly complacent about life. Um, so they were casting for that for that part. And they said, who are we going to get for the skydiving instructor? And I said, well, what about that guy that played the skydiving instructor in proof? And said, he's really good. And so they looked him up, uh, Marvin J. McIntyre, and they said, hey, you remember that little short you did? Because what they would do is the, uh, the actors would go out to the university and act on an hourly rate for the college students that were making their cinematography films. And he would do that. And that's how he ended up in proof. And the guys that made Fandango said, he's perfect, hire him. And the only difference in the two, they're, they're, the scene, the skydiving scene is almost word for word exactly the same scene with different actors, except for him, of course. And the only difference for him is that in Fandango, he had, I think, a long blonde wig on. And in Proof, he just had his regular long curly red hair, which is his natural. But it's, it's a fantastic film, either one of them. So if, you, if you've seen Fandango and you haven't seen Proof, do, go, go do watch Proof on YouTube. Up? Do you think Fandango holds up? Is it still a good movie today? Oh, it's a great movie. It's, it's one of those cult classic kind of things where it's, it's never going to get old. I, it's, you've got it's to fear understand. Loathing. It's you know, a slow, I did watch long, uh, drawn-out movie. Yeah. Not, uh, Elton John's movie, Rocket, Rocket, Rocket Man. Man. I did watch that since we had the last podcast. How was it? It's pretty good. I learned a lot no, about it. Try Fandango, but be in the mood to watch a long, drawn-out movie about a bunch of guys who are just out raising some hell. Is, I mean, that's uh, really all it's, it's is the skydiving yeah, represented <laughs> more legitimately than it is in Point Break? It's completely different because it's just a static line jump, and it's all about the hippie dude teaching the guy how to make the jump, and then every conceivable thing that could have gone wrong does and the guy still lives i mean that's it's all the whole thing's like seven minutes i mean <laughs> so it's not a big part oh, so of the just movie. the just the duration of one skydive and point break uh, yeah pretty <laughs> much. yeah from, seven minutes from, long. from four thousand <laughs> feet come on Don't johnny you can do it <laughs> yeah, so I, fun. I i will never forget during the point break we got you know phone call phone call phone call all day long and a kid called me up one day i just happened to be the guy to grab the phone and he says, so how long's the free fall? Because we're talking about the technical. He wanted to talk about the technical stuff. He says, so how long's the free fall? I says, well, it's, it's about almost a minute long on your first jump. Is AFF jump, right? He goes, oh, I saw point break, and they were in free fall for like three minutes. And I'm like, well, yeah, but they jumped from like 4,500 feet. So, you know, it, it went so... I bet he didn't get the jump. He did not no. get it at all. Everybody standing around me in the manifest was about to fall over, but yeah, he didn't get a clue. I, I love hearing Wuffos. Uh, it, it, it's so weird. Some people in our sport don't know Wuffos or non-jumpers. Wuffo, you jump out of that perfectly good airplane. But it's so funny to listen to Wuffo stand around the drop zone on a weekend talking about what we're doing and have absolutely no concept and understanding of what's going on. And I, I enjoy listening to that skewed version of reality because of Hollywoodization mm-hmm. uh, of what what the movies are hey if it makes them call the drop zone and get information i'm down with it let's I don't, go you know yeah i mean and for anybody who's watching and has not seen the movie cutaway you you, you have to see the movie cutaway just to and i mean i best skydiving movie ever there it is right there just go see the movie cutaway norman kent was on the show the first time he was on the show we talked about it tune into that one we, we yeah, he was one it. of the big camera guys on it right yeah, director yeah. of photography or aerial or whatever it was director of they, cinematography. they give those guys big names to jump out of planes yeah. that's pretty cool director of aerial cinematography <laughs> um and uh yeah it, it, guy man it, it was great uh between point break drop zone and terminal velocity that's what got me into the oh sport. that's right terminal velocity yeah oh, man. man charlie sheen oh my god uh, none of those movies are real, and if you're a skydiver and you're watching these movies and you're being critical of the yeah, reality of the movie, yeah, don't pick it apart. 
Yeah, the just Smurfs ha- are real too, bro. Yeah. Like Harry Potter. Yeah, that's real too, homie. Come on. Well, you know, <laughs> and people will pick on, well, you don't hook a three ring up that way. And he's like, it's a good thing I'm not in the movie. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's just a freaking, I watch a movie to escape reality. I watch a movie to have fun. So I, I am probably the least but critical I, person when I see him. I did kind of draw the line during Cutaway, though, when the two actors were sitting on the back of the caravan with their legs dangling off the tailgate while it's in flight and their rigs are 10 feet behind them, <laughs> leaning up against the wall. I was, okay, you take a few more chances than I do, but okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. You're a little bit riskier yeah, fellow maybe, than I am. Maybe. Like, I can honestly say I've sat outside, I've sat at the door of an airplane with my legs dangling out with my rig on, and I was scared shitless. Yeah, it's, I have a rig on, and I'm scared. <laughs> So those guys, much ballsier than me. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, interesting movie. Now, I want to go back to, uh, real quick, and it'll be easy, uh, okay. um, um, uh, televising the USPA board meetings. Because really, early on, it, sh- it is going to be easy. And then from there, it's a proof of concept that would mm. make it easy. Because somebody could supply Cheryl with a device like a phone, put it on a tripod with a wide-angle lens. Today, iPhones have a huge wide-angle lens. Mm-hmm. You can buy a $5 shotgun mic that goes onto it and put it close to the board and just have it air live air. And when they, she needs to go quiet, you guys point it out to her. She hits stop, puts it away. Sure. Um, now, if it's really going to be as good as it could be eventually at some point mics, a few mics strategically placed in front of the board. So when you guys are talking, you get decent audio quality, et cetera. Sure. And honestly, I never think a lot of people will watch it, but there is an amount of nerds who will watch. Mm-hmm. There are an amount of nerds who will reach out to the regional director. Example, me, I'll tell you, Hey Chuck, send me a message when you guys hit this topic because mm-hmm. I want to watch yep. because I will, I will interact. I will talk to you. I will send you a message saying, Hey, this is my feelings on this. And and I'm not the only guy like that. There's uh, there's so many members who do this. You see you see a few of them regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fortunately, nerds like me will have that information. And somebody go, well, how do you know? Well, and you know what? USPA has the minutes on the website, which by the it's way right they do, and the video is accessible. So if you go to minute twenty eight and one second, I'm going to ask you about that later on. Um, twenty eight yeah. and one second, then you can see Chuck talk about, or you can see the board talk about, or you can see whatever. So I really would implore anybody who's on the board who's watching and listening, I've seen a few of those names on here already, really consider giving us that access because you are run by or voted on by the members. We are Mm -hmm. there. And and hopefully my goal with this is to educate the members and let them see what you guys are really doing and how you guys are really trying to help us. And, and, And maybe then we'd have less complaints. Some people will never stop. Yeah, well, you... You can be right, and you're just not right enough. I mean, for for some folks, it just is for, what for it sure. is, and, and everybody's different in that light. I will say this. Uh, I will say this about that. That sounded very political. Yeah. <laughs> uh, politicians love that one. Well, I'll say this about that. <laughs> Actually, I won't say anything. Bring me a beer. Um, and that is that. Um, just like, and it, it's more prevalent in the uh, com- competition community, but in everything that USPA does, uh, as you DJ know, we are member driven. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, is that if the membership is happy with the status quo, with what's happening, then our job is to just move through our daily processes and keep our membership served. If a, if an issue comes up and a member brings it to us, the cool part about the way we work, if you as a member of the Gulf region come to me as the regional director and say, I want an agenda item placed on the agenda, and that agenda, my, an agenda item is, I want video at the board meetings. I want to discuss. I want a, a possibly a motion created because we do everything through committee. So if the membership came to us, you remember the wingsuit thing? There was a big and yep. it, it was I wasn't really 
the uh, wingsuit instructor. Yeah, I, I wasn't yeah. really super active uh, in keeping up with what USPA was doing at the time. Um, I was between stuff. But I know it was a big enough issue that you didn't have to be very close to it to understand what was happening. There was a big hoopla about whether or not there should be a USPA wingsuit instructor rating. Stop me if I'm going down the wrong. I was at there. that board meeting. Yeah, and, and it was a half and it was a fifty fifty. Wasn't I mean half the wingsuit community thought it was a great idea, and the other half thought it was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard of, and they, and everybody had good logical reasons for it. But that was a perfect example of where. Uh, an action came from the board because of stuff that came from the field. In that particular case, because it was such a contentious issue, there was a huge response from the wingsuit community. And from and, and of course, people look at that as, you know, you're going to choose sides, instructor or not instructor or whatever. From USPA's perspective, of course, I wasn't on the board at the time, but looking back on it, that was fantastic. Yeah, because that was members that were engaged in this process. In that particular case, it was about something they were all on both sides pretty fired up about. But I want folks to be just that engaged all the time. So just like from the like uh, rule changes and competition, most of them come from the field where the competitors say, well, this this is clunky over here and they're not doing this at the world meet anyway. Or, you know, there's just so many different circumstances. But w we have from time to time changed a rule uh, if it didn't go against the international rules, if it was something we could do any way we wanted or whatever. Um, but it always ends up coming from the field. A competitor will say, and a lot of our rule changes come from that. They'll say they'll, they'll draw out a description and we'll say, well, yeah, that's that isn't really fair if that were to happen, it, is it? Um, and so we'll modify rules to try to keep the the the, the level uh, the playing field level. But again, the same thing. If 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 a group of people, and the easiest way for me to say it, I'm pragmatic and I'm a process guy in in my role for USPA. If a member or members want that on the agenda, we will put it on the agenda, and it'll go through committee. And if it passes out of committee with a uh, with a yes vote, then the entire board will take it up and we'll make that decision. If there's a lot of things you got to go through. Who's going to pay for it? Or we have volunteers. Where's the technology come from? So there's a lot that would have to be chewed on. But the fundamental the fundamental answer there is: if members want it and bring it to us to put it on the agenda, that will happen, and we will discuss it, and it may get approved. It is. I've, I've been attending board meetings for over 10 years now. I yeah. just did the math and I'm like, man, 11 years ago was my first attendance yeah. of a board meeting. And I told you the biggest board meeting, uh, biggest member attended board meeting I went to was in San Antonio here. Mm -hmm. The second biggest member attended meeting was 2013 at PIA. Yeah. The wingsuit uh, meeting was that that's the exact one you're talking about. And it was by far the largest attended. And the members spoke up so much that at some point the board had to say, guys, unless you have something new or relevant to say, we need to cap the conversation. And fortunately, the members agreed with the board that we are now repeating ourselves. So if you have this feeling, let us know. If you don't have this feeling, let us know. And, and it was crazy because actually the board at some point agreed with the members that said, hey, we have nothing else to add. And when everybody agreed, I raised my hand and Something that it, I'm going to give away a secret to anybody who's never realized this. When I uh, did serve on the board, I always wanted to wait to speak last. And there's two reasons. Reason number one, how many of those guys will repeat each other? Some of them do. Sure. So I'm not going to waste your time by repeating everybody. I'll just say, hey, I agree with Mr. Akins. I agree with Mr. Akers. I agree with whoever. And I have this to add. So I only add. I don't repeat. And mm -hmm. you can't refute the guy who goes last. That's true. And fortunately, when I went to say something, what are you do, right? somebody it's, in the board, go ahead. Zero surprise that there's strategy for this. <laughs> oh, just keep, just keep going. Uh, dude, DJ I'm, with a strategy? Yeah. Go figure. Somebody in the board goes, uh, we know we said there was one more and we know we agreed it was done, but uh, Mr. Marvin, he has something valid to add. We know he does. What do you have? 
And, and the board, they recognize you. If you speak to them regularly, if yeah. you talk to them regularly, I'm not anybody fucking special, period. I have interacted with my board members long enough that when I raised my hand, they said, you know what? We know you. You speak up. Um, at San Antonio, I was there as a member. At this mm-hmm. point, you're the regional director. I'm just a member, and I say just a member. I think I am as important at that meeting as you are as Absolutely. president, respectfully. And in safety and training committee, I sat there, and at some point the committee said, DJ, what do you have to say about this? Now, they were talking about examiners, safety mm-hmm. and training. That's my forte. But yet they asked a member sitting in the room, what is your input? They want to hear from us, sure. guys. Please show up to these meetings. I know they're they're called board meetings because they can be boring. Well, I'll... <laughs> But they're fun. I'll throw two things in the mix because it's the most perfect opportunity to do it. And what Please. you just said reminded me of that. Please. Two things. Uh, board members are not paid. That's that's a question that always comes up. Board. This is a voluntary position. Um, we are... 40 bucks a meeting. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, you're right. In <laughs> fact, I think it's like 52 now or something. Oh, you got a raise, yeah. you son of a bitch. <laughs> There's, uh, the, apparently, the board decided... At a, I think it was in the T-Rex era when the board decided this. I'm not sure, but there was something about that he, the board members got a check, and I don't know if it was to catch the bus between the airport and the board meeting. I don't know what it was. It was it's so long ago. to pay for our cell phone bills to do communications is with that the members what it is? is what I was told. Okay, well... That's what I was told. Whatever it is. It's So, at any rate, so, so yes, we are paid uh, $52 for every board meeting or something, but but no, so we're, we're volunteers. We don't get paid. That's, that's a huge yeah. question that always comes up. Uh, our, our expenses, our approved expenses are reimbursed, you know, travel to board meetings, that sort of thing. Um, so that's number one, voluntary. Staff completely paid, and that's the difference. So if anybody ever wants to know about the governance of USPA, I'll be glad to sit and talk with you about it privately because it, we, we are two halves. We are a staff that is paid. They're hired guns to do what they do very well, and they do it. And then we have the board, which is all of our elected officials that are working on a voluntary basis to guide the organization. So the board decides what USPA should be doing. And then the headquarters staff executes what needs done to pull it off. And then, of course, we rely on them very heavily for their input and their advice. So the, the two halves work together. So uh, so the staff is paid. Um, and let's see, what was the other one? Um, oh, I have heard, and it's, the, it's, it's usually the same very small but very vocal minority, um, that as you mentioned in your intro to the uh, meeting tonight on Facebook, they, there's people out there that will poo-poo everything USBA does. It just doesn't matter. You just can't be right enough. And so uh, one of the things that I've heard over the years is that it's, you know, it's the back room, smoke filled rooms and we're doing whatever we want to do and we don't care about the membership and it's all about manufacturers. You hear all these different. You guys have your own version of the Illuminati, right? Oh, absolutely. Don't we all, right? (laughs) And so so the one thing I'll say is the first time I ever heard that, I heard a guy talking about how you guys don't care about the members. And when he said that, and I was fairly new to the board, maybe a year in or something. And when he said that, but when he said members, I thought, you know what? On every single board meeting, I hear, in some cases, ad nauseum on certain issues for the members. It's for the members. This is about the members. You, and you'll hear the board members. And if somebody kind of strays down a path that maybe doesn't really focus on serving the membership, sometimes they'll get called out. Or you'll just hear them in normal conversation. Well, I believe that on behalf of the members, this would be. The, so it, the membership is constantly in the front of our minds because that's what we were hired to do. So for the folks who, you know, USPA today and USPA 20 or 30 years ago is a completely different creature. So for anybody who has those who's had a bad experience many, many moons ago uh, or maybe the organization wasn't run as diplomatically and democratically as it is today, I don't know. I didn't follow it back then. 
but if you're one of those guys or gals that has that sort of bad taste in your mouth for USPA, give us another chance because it's a different organization than it was a few decades ago. Man, I, I agree. One of the comments and one of the jokes that I hear made constantly, sorry, I'm uh, making a quick note. No, no worries. Um, I, uh, one of the comments I hear made regularly is the board members have their mind made up before they show up, so the board meeting can be a waste of time. And I believe years ago there was a truth to that. Probably. Um, I do also believe that the board members' decisions aren't always made in the boardroom. They're sometimes made after hours at the bars because you can speak more candidly at a bar with your homie and speak up. But um, I won't give too many details because it's a whole other can of worms. But while I was on the board, there was a thing up for vote. And one of our members, a guy named Bill Morrissey, if you don't know the name, he's a fucking legend. Bill Morrissey spoke up and made a couple valid points. And in those points, I know several board members who changed their votes at that moment. I was one of them. I was going to vote against something. I ended up voting for something. I was sitting next to another board member who did the same thing. And afterwards, there were several of us like, dude, did you change your vote? Yeah, I changed my vote. Mm -hmm. I do that. And we were all blown away. That now, Bill Morrissey, I would like to say just a member is not a very fair word. Uh, when it comes to tandem skydiving, Bill Booth and Ted Strong started tan, tandem skydiving, and Ted Strong's right hand man was Bill Morrissey. Yeah. So, and to uh, this day, he's still grinding away. He hasn't highly retired, has he? He, hasn't he is retired. retired. Oh, he did retire. Okay. He is retired, but he will not stop showing up to tandem well, examiner you know. meetings. He will not stop showing up to. Board meetings are highly influential with tandems. He will not stop showing up to uh, uh, Tom Noonan's tandem courses, you, which is a good thing. These you just can't get rid of some guys. I mean, you just can't. Man, no, he's Bill's amazing. He's been. So the a member showed up, and that member changed the mind of several <laughs> board members and changed the way a vote happened. Yep. Man, there are absolutely... That happens all the time. Yeah. It, it literally happens all the time where somebody comes in, and it's usually... and it. it People think that if you go address the board that they're going to nod their head at you and, you know, like, yeah, we, we've heard this before. Or like you said, our minds are already made up. And it's not at all. It's not at all. First of all, the board, 22 members, come from so many different walks of life and so many different skydiving disciplines um, that there's very few board members that, that really have a deep understanding of every category of, of issue that we might have to deal with, especially a skydiving issue. And so when a guy comes, I mean, we had a guy that wanted to change something having to do with um, foreign competitors being on U.S. teams and the percentages and all the things. And by the time he broke it down to the and I was on the comp committee at the time because I wasn't president. So you serve on boards. And um, by the time he was done, the committee was like, well, that makes perfect sense. And and it doesn't slight anybody else. Right. It it works for some of our competitors who are currently kind of getting the raw end of the deal and it doesn't hurt anybody else. Let's make the change. And, and that's exactly how we govern. So for people who either have, A, a problem with something that USPA is doing or does or is planning or whatever, or if, B, they see someplace where they can improve it, like the idea of including video for the board meetings, okay? Some people would consider that a very beneficial uh, progressive move for USPA to make. And so that's what we're, we are constantly searching for the better mousetrap, and, and that comes from the membership, not from us. If you ask the 22 board members, you're probably going to get the same 22 ideas that you got six months ago at the last board meeting, right? Because we're not, we're creatures of habit. So we want that outside input to help us steer the ship. And y'all are so open to influence. I, I will tell you right now, you've never heard a suggestion from me to put before the board, not because I've skipped you as our regional director, but because my comments have always been safety and training. And I've sure. always had the ear of either Jim, now Ron. Yep. 
Um, so all my suggestions to go to the board have always just gone through the director of safety and training. Sure. Well, you're so, working at that level anyway. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, dude, it's so crazy. I remember a day and age where I sat back and I watched and I'm like, man, look at all these old fuddy duddies, man. They all know each other, man. How do all these guys know each other, man? And, and my buddy, Jay Stokes, he wasn't on the board yet, yeah. is friends with everybody and the president of USPA is my buddy. You're the one of those fuddy duddies. Director of safety and training used to work for me. Mm-hmm. I was his lead instructor, Albert Burke. What the fuck? What the? When did we get old, Chuck? Well, you know, I always say the growing old sucks, but I hope I do it for a really long time. That's kind of my take on it. I'll I, take I, that I'm, I want to be the most beat up, old, cranky corpse ever on the planet, and hopefully I will be. I actually don't think you're cranky. That that I will never accuse you of being. How old are you? Uh, I'll be 60 in November. Okay. Yeah. It, it's hard to tell with a bald fellow what his age really is. Uh, Tommy Miller, who's 25, is also bald, yep. so bald is not necessarily an age thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I six, I thought you were a little bit younger than that. I try to stay active. My, the lovely Miss D is a athletic machine as a, as are both of my kids. So uh, relatively speaking, I'm a real slob around my house, but I'm doing okay. Right. I'm hanging on to it. I can still get vertical at three 30 in the morning. So <laughs> I feel like a lot of the conversation you guys are having here has to do with making the board meetings more accessible to your average skydiver. And I think sure. this show is is proof that uh, people will spend time listening to anything, no matter how <laughs> how boring. <laughs> it, no it, it we might, love it you guys. Get. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Fuck you, Nick. Total train wreck. <laughs> Who cares? They're having fun. No, this is great. I mean, I really enjoy doing the show. I'm sure you guys really enjoy the things that you get to discuss on the on the board meeting. Sure. I just wonder if there are things that have been said about you know. Have you heard a good reason as to why these meetings shouldn't be broadcast to the public? I have, other than a pet peeve of a particular director, and you know, everybody has their own opinion. Um, the one logical uh, opinion I have heard, and maybe it's of a concern or maybe it's not, it depends on who's paying for this, uh, but that was that even though we have a, a some sizable amount of board uh, or of a members who would say, yeah, I'd, I wish the uh, meetings were televised, at the end of the day, how many will actually watch? And we have to compare compare that to the the cost and the effort to make it occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and and but of course we've also we've had people that have said, look, I'll voluntarily do it, or I'll you know I'll sign a contract for super dirt cheap because I'm a skydiver or whatever. And so all those things, as far as I'm concerned, and I know if you're one of those board members watching tonight that's not really keen on this idea, you probably don't. I'm not your favorite guy right now, but it is <laughs> what it is. Uh, but we'll inter- we we as a board will always entertain ideas. And if somebody comes to us with an idea that tips the scales that says, well, now having video at the board meetings makes more sense than not having it at the board meetings Mm -hmm. because of this situation, whatever it is, then we will absolutely consider it. Um, I think the metric of finding out how many people would watch, you were talking about the wingsuit thing earlier, and the video conferencing or the video uh, closed circuit thing came up in my mind then, and that was that typically you'd probably only get a handful of members that would want to watch because once they see it happen the first time, they go, holy moly, that takes too long to get to a point. Mm. Uh, because we have to dissect everything. To There's 22 opinions out there. How, how long is a normal board meeting, just to put that in perspective? It's, uh, we start on Friday, but we actually start on Thursday evenings, usually at the bar with committee people doing, you know, they're talking about what's coming up the Oh, next you get day. the real opinions first. Yes. Exactly. All right. uh, then the meetings begin on Friday morning, and we go pretty much eight to faint for three days in a row we, we're, we're we're the agenda says we're done sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon so people can catch their flights home hopefully so bottom line three full days of meetings and the meetings always roll over into dinner and then the next morning they begin at breakfast so um 
we only meet twice a year. Uh, and so we have to get a lot done when we do meet. And we do an enormous amount of business in between meetings, either through the executive committee or in some cases through uh, committee chairs. You know, we've, you know, Michael Watkins over safety and training does bang up job. He's got a super busy committee. Uh, you know, Kirk Verner, the competition committee, he's got a super busy committee. Fortunately, we have staff advisors who handle a lot of the legwork of actually getting things done. Uh, but that's there it is. Do you think that a update that you did recently could have like a good idea of how many people would watch? Because I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, that was so new for us. Uh, for anybody that wasn't aware of it, they asked me when the COVID thing locked everybody up and all the DZs had to shut down. Uh, Shannon Searles, our marketing, our sport promotion director, uh, asked me if I would have <laughs> asked me if I would have a conversation with our members, and I said that's exactly what we should do. Which let's let's all just sit and talk about where we are, what's going on, um, looking forward. Are there things we can do moving forward? And so that's what we discussed. Um, but that literally just came out of Shannon's, and there's totally more of those coming. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to the USPA Facebook page, uh, you'll also see where we've had uh, Michael Watkins, uh, chairman of the Safety and Training Committee, has done one. Ron Bell's done, I think, maybe at least a couple of them, maybe even more. Ron is our staff uh, director of safety and training, so he's our, our guy at headquarters. He's our, our salaried expert in that, in that field. Um, let's see. Um, Have you seen a lot of people watching them, though? Yeah, you know, it, it varies because if it's a specialty thing, mm-hmm. uh, Shauna Finley, who's one of our directors, she's also a rigger, runs a pretty sophisticated loft. Um, she's done a couple of things online. The audience was smaller, but if you if I just happen to look at some of the names and just by by sheer chance, I know some of them. They were people that were specifically interested in the rigging aspects. So when you start going down to the specialties, obviously, you're going to have a smaller audience. But by and large, it's going to be a more loyal audience to that subject matter. Mm -hmm. So and you know what? From my for my taste, uh, I don't care if five people are watching or 500 people are watching. If those five people want to be there and want the information that we have to present, that's a starting point. Mm-hmm. And we, we'll develop an audience over time. You know, being in the radio business, I've always had a philosophy that you earn your listeners one show at a time. You just do. Uh, you know that working with this. When you first started, you probably had literally a handful of people watching, and those were probably your friends and family, right? They, they, they didn't even listen. It was just <laughs> Nick and I. We're the only ones who listened to the first one. Yeah. So, But you, you understand what I mean. You, you earn your viewers, your listeners, literally one show at a time because if people want to hear more of what you're doing, then they'll tune back in. It's, it's kind of the same way with that stuff. Um, some of it's also conditioning people to know that that's a good place to get their information exactly. if they're not used to doing it that way. You know, I, I spent years as a news guy on the radio and really had had a hard time moving to the internet for my news and it hadn't and there's way more news there um like a, a lot but for me it was just an uncomfortable thing because i wasn't used to doing it that way but man sure. you know but it's the same thing here people will evolve and i think those videos will become even more important as time goes by the cool part is is people can play them back mm-hmm. so the instructional versions the the rigging stuff that kind of stuff just like gravity lab you know you can access it later so as we as we build a library of that, it'll just become more and more robust with more and more views. Mm-hmm. Do you know if uh, Shannon and or USPA is working or do we have a USPA uh, YouTube channel where these resources are kept or are they just on, on the face spaces? We, USPA does have a YouTube channel. Um, I, I don't I don't know if there's a lot of uh, sync between that and the Facebook um, I think we're focusing a lot on the social media. Uh, you can you can find yourself repeating your own efforts, uh, but that's way above. Excuse me, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, Shannon and and uh, in, right now Ed, uh, and then of course Albert when he takes charge, uh, they work 
the group up there works so well together. Uh, Shannon and I speak fairly regularly, and she'll throw ideas at me, and I'll throw ideas at her because, as you know, being in radio, you're kind of in the marketing game. It's it's kind of what you do for a living, and uh, and so I I find it very productive to just say, hey, here's here's an idea that sounds great. I have no idea if you can do it or not. I have no idea if it, <laughs> if if you could be done financially. I have I have no idea. But the good news is is that I just have a great idea, and I just handed it to you. Have a, have a great day. And she's awesome about that because she really likes to share ideas. Because you you know how it is. You never know where that golden little golden nugget's going to come from. So. Yeah, it's brainstorming. Yeah, brainstorming is yeah. where everything comes from yep. said and done. Absolutely. We're actually, Nick and I are talking, and I say Nick and I, the manager of Skydive Space yeah, and buddy. the owner of the rating center, just to give a little context, are talking about a project together. And Nick said, I'll come back to you when I have a more formed idea. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's just sit down and shoot the shit about it one day. Because honestly, that shooting the shit is where we're going to come up with our best ideas. Mm-hmm. Because um, he came to me with an idea that he thought, like, you might find this silly. I'm like, no, actually, I wanted to have this exact conversation with you. Sure. And uh, so it, it, it's that, that spitballing, that throwing back and forth. And that's one thing that I like. I don't think young infers age, and you're proof of that. Um, we need a young board, and young means we need somebody who has that fresh perspective, yes. who's yeah. willing to look at the new things and and and. Man, we've had some board members who've served forever, and that doesn't mean that they don't have a fresh perspective. But if you don't, you shouldn't be there. Sure. And that leads me to the question of what do you think of term limits? Um, I, I don't have a problem with term limits, pro or con. It kind of depends on the organization and the, the purpose of the organization. Uh, USPA is, is very fortunate in that if you stay on the board a long time, you don't usually find yourself with... Um, ulterior motives there, there's not a lot of agendas on the board as far as outside agendas and so if somebody's been there two years or 20 years they don't you know in in, in public office when you're there too long you become scarred you become there's there's too many backroom deals you have too many friends that you have to make decisions on their behalf otherwise things that were coming your way stop coming your way so there's truly politics in what we do there's not as much quote-unquote politics simply because we're not paid. We're not compensated. If we do something that's not in the best interest of our general membership or of our members, that director is probably going to get called out and ask, well, why would you decide that when it didn't do anybody any good? And they, nine times out of 10, they'll have a good reason, which is, you know, that's their prerogative. But the difference term limit wise is that we, I don't, I don't see directors becoming embedded with special causes or with special lobby efforts or that sort of thing. We, we truly are, uh, we truly are connected pretty much one-on-one with our membership because they can pound their shoe on our desk virtually or on my phone anytime they want. And and it's happened on a couple of occasions. So once in a while, as a director, I've had to eat crow. Okay, I was wrong. Thank you. Have a nice day. I'm glad you taught me that lesson. Then we move forward. So, And that's just all part of developing the, the, the director's positions. You, get, you, have to be, you have to be able to work and admit your wrongs and keep moving forward. And that's that's how I govern anyway, and it's how the vast majority of the directors that I know on the board govern. They, they want to be mono e mono with their, with their members, and they want, we all want to serve as well as we can. How long have you been in this role, Chuck, um, as, as USPA president? As president, about a year and a half. How, how long did it take you to feel like you'd really found your footing with what the uh, day-to-day is? Wow. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. You, you're, I don't know that you're ever really there because every time you think you have a handle on it, I'll get a call from Ed Scott and there will be some new wrinkle in the in the mix, you know, some some new thing that we couldn't see. COVID was that way. There was no way for anybody to see that coming. But all of a sudden, there it was and we had to deal with it. And so I'm not sure you ever get comfortable. I will say that I'm much better versed at uh, at USPA's role and and how to how to smooth the path because 
I see my role as president more than anything else, simply removing obstacles for the process, whether it become whether it's a staff member, whether it's our board, executive directors, uh, committee chairs. Um, if I can, you know, I'll, let me point out Michael Watkins. I love that guy to death. And he's he has one of the harder jobs on the board. He's the chairman of the safety and training committee. And that means that by default, he has to be concerned with the with the tiniest little minutia, for, because when they write, as you know, when they start writing stuff and put it into governance, that's law. And if they misword something, they put a comma in the wrong place, whatever, it can say something completely. So there's just so much detail in what he does. And he has to combine it with uh, the ability to shoot from the hip based on stuff he's seeing in the field, just like you have to, just like this and TAs and drop zone managers. Um, and so uh, that's that's how he has to work. Well, whether it's him, whether it's staff, whoever it is, it's it's an all in concept at USPA. So to, so president, regional director, none of that really none of that really matters from a hierarchy because we're we all work together. The president's role, as I say, I see my role as removing obstacles so that the board and the staff can do their business, whatever that may be. And nine times out of 10, when I get an email, my reply is usually that's great. All I, you know, we have an open line of communication, and if the board members and the staff members, whoever it is that that feel that they need to report something to the president, which is fairly routine, it's not they're not reporting to me, they're reporting to the president, uh, and they would do it no matter who was in that chair. Um, and the vast majority of the time when they're doing that, all they're doing is making sure that we have good open lines of communication, and they want me to know that if I have something I'd like to say about that issue, that they're inviting me to do so, to just click reply and say good job or. You know, I don't like this aspect or whatever, but I still don't tell them don't do it. That's that's why we have the process of committees and then full board votes and all that. It's not my job to shoot somebody down because I may not like an idea personally. You man, I would so many different directions to go, but uh, the, the, I just want to go through that process for a second. One of the things that you've mentioned is myself as a member can go to my regional director and say, mm-hmm. Chuck, I want you to present. We should have these. Uh, 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 board meetings videoed, mm-hmm. live, aired live. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm asking you that as my regional director now. Um, from here, where does... Oh, you mean go- real time right there? Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> okay. was, that, that's that's on doing. video. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I'm nailed. He got me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's but, like being served, isn't it? <laughs> there you go, man. It's, <laughs> it's proof. I got proof. It's, it's like, on Facebook. I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> it's Facebook official. Not okay. a horrible idea, but you Duly noted. Thank looking you. at getting suicided. Oh, DJ. you saw that? Oh, shit. <laughs> Greg Windmiller said I might be getting suicided. <laughs> I'll help. <laughs> Greg wow. Windmiller, come to Hi, Houston. Greg. Be on the show. We love you, buddy. Hi, Greg. By the way, he tells a great story about when my son snapped his femur in half at Z Hills. Great story, Greg. Great story it makes me shiver every time i hear it greg tells a great story no matter what yeah, it's he about does. man he does. and if and if you don't think so just wait he'll tell you you like it <laughs> the one thing i found is greg and i we shouldn't you, be greg. allowed to sit together at examiner meetings we're a little too much of a ruckus together. i can see that yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. um so now i've asked you to, to to put an idea before the board absolutely what happens next um the u.s parachute association the governance uh we are it's a it's a fairly classic structure uh, for, for an association um everything we do is done through committee um, so if you have an idea, you want something changed or you have an initiative you want to spark and it has to do with competition, well, that would end up getting uh, funneled through Secretary Ray Lalo, uh, who is the um, mountain regional director there, Utah, Arizona, all through, through there. Great guy. Work with him every day since he's the secretary. Um, he would then formalize the agenda, which would put it on the, on the agenda for the, for the proper uh, committee. Uh, sometimes it's more than one committee. 
but typically something like that might be a single committee, might be membership services, might be the place for it to go since that's what it would end up at the end of the day. That's what it would be. It'd be a member service. Yep. Um, and and, and, and if, it, if it is approved through membership services, then at the final end of the board meeting, all of the committees report out to the full board. And if their committee came up with a motion for a particular issue, we're going to we voted we're going to paint the clubhouse green. You know, those old Robert's Rules examples. And so the, 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 the clubhouse was red, but the uh, the painting committee decided to, to a five, three vote to paint it red instead. So during the report out at the full board meeting, what they call a plenary session, which is just a fancy word for full board. During that session, the president would call on that committee member to do a report out. What did you do in your committee meeting? Um, and if there was a motion to paint the barn red, he would say, the, you know, we discussed painting the barn red. And the following motion uh, was result, uh, the result of our debate. You know, uh, we, we moved to paint the clubhouse red. And then at that point, we debated as a full board. And at the end of that debate, we vote. Um, and so everything we do is that didn't get picked up, by the way. So ev everything that we do <laughs> is done through a committee up to the full board. And anywhere along the way, it can get shot down. If it doesn't get out of committee, then this is the one thing I hate. It's, I've always hated this about uh, the, the way boards work is that if something doesn't come out of committee, then the board can't really vote on it. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a legal way to, to go around that, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's rare for somebody to utilize that, that runaround. So, yeah, so we're all com committee-based. But the other cool part about it is, is that if you're pushing an initiative um, to get a yes vote, you don't have to convince the majority of 22 people. To get it to go to the full board, you only have to convince the committee, which in some cases is four or five people. And so for those who get up and go to, I know it sounds crazy, but catch that Southwest Friends Fly free flight or whatever it is you got to take. If you go to a board meeting with a specific concern, that means so much more to the board than somebody just shooting off an email. Because I get 50 emails a day for any number of reasons that are skydiving or USPA related. But when somebody shows up at the board meeting, I'll see him in the hallway. What are you doing here? Well, you know, we got this issue over here, and I just wanted to make sure USPA understood my position on it. Wow, you're going to speak during the board meeting? Yes, if that's allowed. Absolutely it's allowed. So when people engage the board, the board engages in like kind. Uh, and you've seen that as a, as a board member and as an advocate for the safety and training things, as an advisor. Um, it means everything when somebody engages us like that. You know, the, uh, probably the best example that I can cite I don't think it's a it's not a big secret that I'm not a fan of age limits. I think drop zone operators should be able to choose their age limit. Amen. Yeah, but but <laughs> but there's there are other considerations, you know, lawsuits yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So I certainly understand the, the opposition's uh, point of view on that. Um, but we had at the last board meeting, I want to say her name is Lindsay. I hope I don't screw that up. Uh, her father's a skydiver down in Florida. And she wanted to be a skydiver. They left the country so she could do a tandem. They're Hispanic. So she, I think they went to Mexico or Spain, I think, actually. She made a tandem. They came back to the United States. She decided she wanted to go through her AFF training and become a licensed skydiver. Went back to Spain. Went all the way through her AFF. Came back to the United States. Still can't jump here, but she's a licensed USPA member. Hmm. So her and her dad came to the board meeting, that last board meeting, and they pleaded their case. And by the time it was done, and I know there's people watching right now that say, shame on you, you shouldn't have done that. But by the time it was done, I'm like, I'm, I personally can't find a reason to decline this girl's request. And, and her father standing right next to her fully supported it, of course. Now, granted, I had kids that started before they were 18 as well, so there's, you know, there's a precedent there. But I just literally saw yesterday, we friended each other on Facebook so I can follow her career. Just saw uh, on yesterday on Facebook, she now has her B license. Uh, she went down to uh, Director Mike Mullen's place down at West Tennessee because he will let minors jump there. Um, 
And uh, with with waivers, by the way, he, he demands. Because remember, if USPA gives you a waiver to jump when you're under 18, it doesn't mean that a drop zone has to take you. It's still their decision whether or not you can jump there. So she has a waiver, so she's legal by USPA standards. The question was, where can she jump? And Director Mullins allows her to jump there at his place. Um, so everything is being done perfectly legally. But that's a great example of if she had to just written us an email or if she had to like called her regional director at the time and just kind of said, hey, could you ask if I can you know, get a waiver? It would have never flown, not in a million years. But when that 17-year-old girl stood in front of that board and, and pleaded her case and did so with the utmost of professionalism in, in a very mature, very professional, very cool, calm way, didn't even have her dad standing next to her at first. They called, you know, her and her dad stood up, and then somebody said, yeah. hey, could you come up here and address the board? And she walked up here and addressed the board, and she did a phenomenal job, which is, that'd be very that'd be a very drop zone kid kind of thing to do, right? Cause sure. she yeah, that's kinda, badass. Kind of kind of grew up <laughs> around it. You know, they don't have any problem saying, okay, here's my deal. Um, but by the time it was done, you know, some some directors voted no, and I certainly understand that for for whatever reasons they may have. Uh, but it was an overwhelming yes. We it was a a pretty large majority yes. I'd have to go back to the minutes to get it exactly. But now she's killing it. I just saw, like I said, she just got her B license just the other day, and this was just six months ago at the board meeting. Well, maybe a little longer than that now. But um, and so that's a perfect example of somebody who had their own torch to carry and brought it to USPA. It's hard to say no to somebody when they present a solid case. Believe me, when Director Luke Akins wanted to deploy below BSR minimums to practice for his no parachute jump, yeah, that's how. How do you tell that guy no when he he lays it? He laid it out for us. He had the math figured. He had everything figured out. I'm I'm out of I'm out of reasons to say no. Yeah, it's so good to see the board be open. I I I don't know the numbers, and I don't need to know the numbers of the people. But I would probably guess somewhere around seventeen to five would have been the vote for that young lady. And I say that just probably pretty close if yeah. memory serves. Um, and I only say that because of history of, of since we've changed the BSRs to be 18 years old uh, in, in my interim service, that was the vote. It was 18 to, to 4 uh, to let a 16-year-old vote. And it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. This young lady came before the board. She had all her paperwork in a row. My drop zone says I can skydive. Here's their written statement. I'm going to be jumping this manufacturer's gear. Here's their statement of consent. I'm going to be jumping yep. this manufacturer's gear. I'm in had everybody's statement of consent. Here's my mom. Here's my dad's. Um, the parents were, or one of the parents was there. Uh, I'm a family of skydivers. They all started at 16. I want to start at 16. Mm-hmm. And because she showed up with her ducks in a row, the board listened, man. It's, it's, it's hard to say no to somebody who comes to you with a package that says, I've covered my bases. I mean, and, and USPA, the, 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 kind of the whole point of that was, is that we're not a bunch of stick in the mud types that just say no to people just because we don't want to cooperate. We want to tell people yes. Um, it's very much the, you know, the FAA, the modern day FAA will tell you the inspectors, they come out and work with you. They will tell you the FAA, like the control tower guys, they're not looking for reasons to tell you no, they're not, they don't want you to not jump. Their job is to provide services to skydivers or to, to aircraft operators so that they can conduct their activities. In our case, it's skydiving. So every time I've ever spoken with an air traffic controller and I work with one at the radio station, who's an ATC, but he's a part-time jock on the weekends. And so we talk quite a little bit about that and he'll tell you straight up. Air traffic controller's job is to make sure, is to do everything we can for you to do what it is you're trying to do, whatever that is. And so um, uh, so the FAA, the whole side of it with the FAA, but the US, USPA, in my experience, four and a half years, three as a regional director, and now a year and a half as the president, and of course still very honorably and humbled to be the regional director, um, we, we want very much to be able to serve our members in any capacity that we can. And we try to remain fluid with what our 
with what our family is is asking for, what the direction they want to go, right? I mean, who in their right mind would have ever dreamed of what we're doing with wingsuits? I, I couldn't have thought that up. But but we supported what they wanted to do. Swoopers, you you remember far back enough. I mean, I was a bandit swooper along with all the other bandit swoopers, you know, for one of the I had an Excalibur, I had a stiletto, I had a velocity, I had, you know, I, I went right up that chain with everybody else. And we had no credibility. We were and of course back then and if some people will laugh at this and some people will scoff, but back then our training for high performance canopy flying was the other guy. You'd look at a guy bounce off the ground and you go, well, don't do that. <laughs> right. What do you do? I don't That's know, but I ain't doing it. I'll tell you that right now. Look at him. You know, he's advice. a crumpled heap. Can you and do that again so I don't do that? Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> show me yeah. how that goes again. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody had a video camera. Quick, you got to. Um, so, yeah, that was literally it. And so, um, and, and I watched as USPA took charge of a situation because let's face it we had a couple of years there where we were flying parachutes into the ground like it was the homecoming parade it was ridiculous and so when USPA stepped in they got a hold of some of the experts in that field and said we really want to create a you know a, a, a logical progression for this and and at the, at the same time the swoopers I don't know who coattailed who but the swoopers took it upon themselves to start doing things in a very controlled very intelligent manner learning how to fly parachutes really really well and and that the yeah. swoopers themselves brought themselves into the position of credibility they're in today it's when swoopers became canopy pilots right it's exactly right yeah, yeah. well terminologies i guess may, may matter and you're a hell of a canopy pilot yourself you're um, he falls over all the time I fall over all the time <laughs> thank you but i i will tell you this and that is if you want to make sure that at spaceland houston if you want to make sure you're going to see somebody do some freestyle on landing right down the beer line you just figure out if nick's on the load or not hey, only only if the arrow's pointed that way no, that's true. No, you. Oh, yeah. And by the way, go ahead. You can tell him. You want to tell him? Tell him what? About calling me out a couple of weeks ago. I did call you out for doing a right turn on a left hand pattern. Yeah. And it's and somebody mentioned that to me. The other, oh, the funny part was I'm walking in from the landing area. And he's standing out there watching, kind of doing an air boss thing, you know, like you have to do when you got multiple planes off the ground. And I land, I'm picking up my canopy. And as I'm walking off the field, I don't even, I don't even think you even looked at me. You just kind of said, so, uh, so Chuck, um, how does how do I? No, tell I, the, I was on the same load. Because okay. oh, I, right. I, I was I was in the loading I said, or the landing so area next says, to you. I was picking up my gear. He says, uh, "How do I tell the president of USPA that uh, that he just made a right hand turn on in a left hand pattern traffic area?" And I stopped and I thought back and I go, <laughs> "Oh my God, I did, didn't I?" Because it was just a weird angle and I I was correcting my position, but I did it by making a right turn and it was an obvious right turn. And I'm like, "Oh wow, I did, didn't I?" And I kept picking. I said, man, I'm sorry about that. I didn't even realize I had done it. And as I'm picking up my stuff, I said, and by the way, you tell the USPA president that he made a right-hand turn in a left-hand pattern the same way you tell anybody else. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong, I, and I apologize. That's it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, th this is a new task for me that I feel yeah. like it's my responsibility to point these things out because I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you didn't realize that you had done this thing. Oh, I absolutely did And not. a lot of these conversations that I have, I'll, I'll say, hey, can you tell me about your, you know, what, what happened on that turn on to final? Oh, nothing, it was normal. Well, you did something that was an obvious uh, infringement on the yeah. rules and whether it takes them having the courage to admit that they did that thing, like, you know, people will try and lie their way out of anything. So whether someone's lying or someone really doesn't uh, remember that 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 happened, mm -hmm. which I fully believe is it the happens, case. You know, yeah. But uh, you know, if, if you don't at least address it, then there's no opportunity to sure. learn from it or to, to do it differently. And thanks to DJ uh, Stevens, another uh, mentor in my ability to calmly approach conversations, that uh, I'm getting better at calmly 
and collectedly and uh, in a mind space of I don't I don't care to be right in the interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to fix the problem and I want to feel like I'm doing my job and holding everybody to to the rules, whether it's sure. someone with two jumps or someone with two thousand jumps or someone with twenty thousand jumps. We I, should all be doing the same thing. I right? pay my beer fines and I fess up when you I'm did, wrong. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it just is what it is. You know. One of my favorite stories in in that vein and really. I tell the story, A, because it is just fucking fun, Mm -hmm. but B, we don't pick on individuals. So Nick calls out the president of USPA for making a mistake. Privately, by the way. He didn't didn't wait till we were in a crowd or something. I watched a guy uh, named Steve Boyd Sr. Not going to call out anybody at all. No, nobody Um, by name. I I watched (laughs) Steve set up to land in the main landing area, Mm -hmm. and his coach, a guy named Tex, uh, happened to land appropriately and properly over by the swoop pond. And at the last minute... And this is an assumption. Steve decided not to land over here, to land by Tex. So at about 300 feet, he flew over the runway. Oh. He cleared his airspace. He knew where he was. I have right. zero, zero doubt about that he did. He violated the rules safely. I do believe that. Sure. Um, when everybody saw it, Steph was the person on the ground supposed to call everybody out. Oh, man. And so I looked don't at want her Steph, and I'm like, you going to say something? She goes, oh, I ain't fucking saying anything. <laughs> and everybody was like, not going to say anything. I'm like... I got it. Don't worry about it, guys. And I don't mind one bit. Sure. And when Steve walked by, he looked at me. He goes, don't say anything. And I looked at him and just smiled. He goes, DJ, don't say anything. I'm like, and I I (laughs) smiled bigger. He goes, DJ. I'm like, Steve, DJ, Steve, DJ, how can I tell people to follow the rules when they will turn around and tell me the air? He goes, I know you're right. I'm sorry. And it was it was a very fun interaction Goose between Steve and I, yeah. right? <laughs> and it, it was great. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and the staff had a good time. I think he had a good time with it. Oh, I think yeah, he sure. enjoyed it as well. But I, I love the example that really both you and Steve set that you guys both are, are really – I own the fucking place. I can do whatever I want. You can't call and he me could. out. He could he really if you wanted could. to. It's, sure. it's his drop zone. It's his fucking rules. Yeah. He, he could do whatever the fuck he really wants. You're the president of USPA. Who the fuck are you to call me out, Nick? Is what you could have said. You would have been wrong. Sure. Steve could have probably been wrong, at least in context. But both of you guys sat there and ate crow. So if you're a jumper thinking that you're getting picked on, the owner of a drop zone has got called out for a safety violation. The president Absolutely. of USPA has got called out. And both men stood up as gentlemen laughed and owned their violations. Well, and, and an interesting point, and it's something that I would really implore everybody that's watching and listening or, or, or will later on, on, a, on a rerun, I, I believe in wearing the appropriate hat for the appropriate moment. And there are times when I'll, you know, most of the time, like during meetings, for example, most of the time it's a, a little bit of a free-for-all where, we, you know, there's just only a limited amount of control necessary. Other times you got to go, hey, you know, bang the gavel. Come on, guys, we got to get back to work. And so that's wearing the different hats. The interaction that I had with Nick, he was the manager of the drop zone. It, that's the hat he had on. So it doesn't much matter what hat I had on because he's the manager of the drop zone. And no matter who he was talking to, that person is below rank to the manager of the drop zone, especially when the manager just literally personally observed you bust a, a safety thing. And so I don't worry a whole lot about There's not a lot of ego out there as far as I'm concerned. You, If you're wearing that hat, you're doing that job. And if your job is to call guys out when they screw up and I was that guy, okay, let's go. You know, no problem. And plus, it's easier to say you're sorry and just keep moving forward. 
Yeah, I, we're not going to argue over it. I mean, we could. It's going to waste time. I'm sorry. Well, I plus he was right. Video. So yeah. <laughs> um, there was no argument. One of the things we've talked about time and time again tonight is USPA and what the board does for you and get to know the board better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're out there and you're still not believing the board's not doing the best for you, if you're out there and you don't think that uh, the people on the board are the right people, that is your opinion, and I will respect your right to have that opinion, and here's the best way you can change it. Run for the board. Absolutely. Run for the board. As a matter of fact, with Albert Burke told stepping down, uh, stepping down to run, uh, or to, to run, but to serve as executive director, mm-hmm. a national director spot is opening up. Yeah. And something that has changed recently in our in our system is at a point, and you and I went through this process, uh, when a board member steps down, the board votes on the interim replacement. Mm-hmm. Now the members get to vote on that replacement, correct? Yeah, that's an interesting take because uh, when we searched back through our governance, there's nothing that mandates that we do it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been a fairly good consensus. I haven't talked to everybody on the board about this because it just kind of came up in conversation as we were deciding how to run an election to replace Mr. Birchtold. And um, my take on it was always that if we have the time and the resources between when we need to run an election and when the next board meeting would be where we would need to seat that director, that if we have ample time to do that, that that's what we should do. And the reason why is because whenever possible, the, the members should make that decision, especially when you're talking about a national director, because it has implications with, without geography. Every single USPA <clears throat> member has the ability to vote for that person. It's not just, you know, guys on two or three do- drop zones in one part of the world. Um, but my take on it was always if we can hold an election by the membership, then that's what we should do. Um, of, of everybody I've spoken to on the board, the executive committee, those folks that we routinely do daily business with, they pretty much everybody has agreed to, yeah, that's, that's a, much more, uh, it's a, a much more proper way to do it, to serve the membership, to give them their voice. And it takes the heat off of you guys. I mean, let's, Yeah, that's a big part of it. The, the film I mean, festival it's, it's unspoken, but let's face it. That the, the film festival is coming up, and Nick and I don't vote. The audience does, and part of it is it's about the audience. It's their film festival, and part of it is, is the heat's off of us. We don't have to pick a winner anymore. Exactly, there you go. So, have, do you usually vote when we do the the film festival? Um, I have both voted and not voted on different years. I have forgotten really? to vote every. I've I've planned on voting every year, and I mm. have forgotten every year because I've been busy trying to tally the votes. Yeah, and at the end of yeah, like, you feel tasked, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I, and I, I feel like voted. we haven't we have an unfair advantage when when we do the film festival. DJ and I will watch all of the submissions first, so uh, that we can order it out in what we believe is going to be the most entertaining, sure. uh, you know, the way way to present them. And so I I feel like we. You know, and we have discussion about the videos after we play. You know, we'll, we'll watch them. It's happened in the tandem classroom, I think, the last couple of years. Every right? year, yeah. Where we'll watch them, and then we'll, we'll even discuss of like, oh, well, I think this one's going to go good because of this, and blah, 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 sure. blah. Flow so, and all that stuff. Yeah, so I don't yeah. feel like I don't feel like we get the same impression that the audience gets. And so they only get what you put in the can, right? You know what I mean? The actual final presentation. Sure. So yeah. it's a different experience for yeah, those. So. And like DJ said, I feel very tasked in that moment, too, of like, oh, did we get everybody's tickets? Is it, hey, did anyone not vote? Hey, it's getting kind of close. So you just get <laughs> caught up in all this stuff. We somebody else to vote because it's a three-way tie, guys. And, and, and <laughs> very short side note, but worth mentioning, Nick, you are, a, you are brilliant with video editing. I, I really I, appreciate I, that very much. I watch, I watch your productions. Shit. I really do watch your productions because I can usually tell if it's your production when I see it. It just has certain elements, so. D- DJ's what? freaking out that I uh, politely received a compliment. He oh. said, thank you. Yes. Uh, Chuck, you've done something you know, nobody <laughs> has ever done before. I didn't know. El I, didn't. I had no idea. You know, thank you is the only thing a confident person would say. 
So I'm trying. There you go. You know, my grandmother once told me that if you didn't know what to say when you were complimented, just say thank you and shut up. Well played, oh, sir. Your well grandmother played. is Grandma a brilliant lady. Oh, yeah. she, was, she, was, she was huge. Um, I do miss making videos right now. I've got to do it a lot less since uh, yeah. since things have changed. So, uh, But that poster over it. there says you've got one coming. I've got one in my brain. It's the, uh, I've started, I've started oh, yeah, to take, yeah. taking some steps. Those are cool posters. They're, they have uh, film festival posters on the studio wall up here for anybody. Who yeah, can. Adam Buckner does all a great Oh, work. he does? Yeah. Adam Buckner does all He's the graphic guy, design yeah. for Gravity Lab Radio, for uh, Gravity Lab uh, stuff, and for, um, what's the, my company? The Rating, the Rating Center. <laughs> Thank you. What's my See, guy? this is why I've never been <laughs> insulted when you forget my name. I don't even know the name of my company. I want to get back to the point, though. A, I love the fact that the board has said it's about the members. Once again, mm-hmm. the board used to vote on the replacement, and the board has said, no, 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 this is about the members. So members, you get to vote for Albert's replacement. Yeah. That's huge, too, because it's a national director, and it's, they're huge of shoes to fill. Mm. Um, and I think anybody that might run, this is kind of a new USPA that's happening where we are truly encouraging a, a younger, very fresh audience to get involved. We're trying to staff our staff. You've probably noticed some of our some of our hires. You know, Ron Bell's still on the young side. Shannon, obviously, a very young player here. But new and age is not really the, the factor. But it's it's a the new younger way of thinking. New ways to uh, to serve our membership. You know, the, the whole online thing and the social media. And there's so much more coming behind that. Um, and so, yeah, t- capitalizing on the younger audience, and that includes our members. If you have a skill, if you have an idea, if you're savvy at something that maybe nobody on the board or staff is, bring it to us. We'll, oh, believe me, I'll put you to work for beer. <laughs> Trust me, I will put you to work for beer. So if you want to make a difference, if you don't think the board's listening, number one, contact your board member. Contact Absolutely. your regional director and get a hold of them. They want to hear from you anyway. Yeah. They just like to they just like to chat about skydiving stuff with their members. Number two, run for the board. If somebody wants to run for Albert's chair, when and how are we going to find out about this? I think the on that one, I think yeah, the uh, the 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 uh, August first. No, yeah, the no, the candidate list is already shut down. I think I thought it was. Uh, we'll have to pull that up, but I thought we already had our candidate list for that. It might be, and I don't remember the exact details. I don't know if the candidate list is shut down and they're exposed August first, or if the candidate's opening is August first and shut down after that, and votes November. Uh, vote is October. October. Yeah, polls open October 1, or I take that back. October, uh, f- uh, polls open on the first business day of October, which I think ends up this year being a Tuesday or something. But uh, but I, I could have, th- I thought we had already closed. See, this is this is the whole thing. I don't have to be detail-oriented because we have really talented people that do all this. Thankfully. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we closed it off. I think they actually put something on the USPA news thing that said, here are your candidates. I think we've done it for Pacific. Uh, is that the, what it is? Maybe yeah, yeah. it's the Pacific. Pacific, scroll to of. the top. Oh, uh, but yeah, you're, my bad. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, the yeah. national is still open, and, I'm pretty sure. And go where? It's go to the top of the homepage. Just news, it should be on the... The top of the homepage will actually say oh, uh, it has something an about COVID, thing. but it has the election for the Pacific. You see a red, white, and blue stripe on the uh, top with yep. stars and stuff on it. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, oh, that'll give you the in. detail. So what I believe... I get it, my elections confused, especially when we've had so many this term. Yeah, Pacific and oh National are both up. Yeah. And I believe if I get my facts right, and I only know this because I've had a candidate for national director uh, talk to me a lot recently... Um, dude, it's so weird to have people consult with me and get my opinion on what they're doing because I'm just a fucking babbling idiot. Um, yeah, but you have a, you, but you have a very unique and useful perspective too. So I have a huge pulse. Yeah. On, 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 and it's uh, a lot of people have actually asked me if I would run for national director. You've you've encouraged me time and time I again, have, and I, I really indeed. appreciate it. Um, and if people want to know, will I run for national director on this next election? The answer is plain and simply no. And with the most respectful statement, you have a gag. I don't. 
Right. You, through a legal obligation, cannot speak on certain topics in mm-hmm. certain ways, and I can say whatever the fuck I want. Yep. And right now, I believe I have as much influence on that board of directors as you do, except for I don't get a hammer. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to influence either the board or the organization or yeah. skydiving in general. And as, as we know, uh, you know, I, I, I tossed something into the air for, on Dan BC one day about running for the board. You know, I mean, uh, in addition to being a big famous guy, he's also super, super talented. His wisdom goes well past what most people in the sport would have yeah. I and mean, way past it. And uh, his his reply to me was pretty basic. He's like, "I'm busy running a drop zone, dude." I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, okay, you're right." But but to to be able to you know once in a while somebody like Dan or or any of these other folks that have been around the sport for many many years, every once in a while they'll shoot me a quick message on Facebook. Hey, I just wanted to chat with you real quick about this issue you guys are doing. I'm like, bring it on. We we want to hear all sides of this because if you don't, if the if the members won't talk to their board, to their regional directors and their board, we don't. There's no way for us to know other than hearsay on social media what it is our members want. So we, we want to hear that. If you have a if you have an agenda that you're trying to get something big started, if you want to have a petition, if you want to bring, you know, statements from people who are lobbying for that change or that cause along with you, do all of those things. You remember what we did when we yeah. ran against each other for the special election. We went out there and got endorsements. We went three, four, five hundred endorsements each. Yeah. I and did. it was only because we went out and actively campaigned. Yeah. It was it was crazy, and uh, I will honestly say that time on the board, I I, ha- I have had a huge pulse of the board. I've been super active mm-hmm. with the board forever, and as as aware as I was of the board, I, I I'm probably one of the more, if not most, aware board members prior to being a board member, yeah. just because of my time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had attended, uh, I think four or five in a row meetings prior to me serving. So I, the reason a lot of board members chose me, they're like DJ's already so connected to yep. the board. And he knows Todd's mindset so well that he's just going to be a immediate plug and play. I, I honestly don't believe, and I and I spoke to enough of our friends. It, it was a choice of personality. It was a choice of DJ knows the system the best. Yeah. And for those so, who so may not know, um, DJ succeeded um, Todd Todd Spillers. Todd Spillers, who was the chair of the safety and training committee. And there was a lot of stuff going on with uh, trying to improve the safety of tandems and things. And so you were the you were the obvious choice to be able to fill in seamlessly. There's yeah. no doubt about that, and the leadership qualities and all that too. I appreciate it. And um, it, it's but back to it. I, I, if I get this right in my brain, and and else if you have any other information, otherwise let me know. I'm positive I have this right. Mm-hmm. August first, the poll, uh, the, the membership is going to open up, or or the uh, the process going to open up where you can actually register to be somebody running for the national director. All right, submit your candidacy. Submit your candidacy. Thank you. Those are the words is we're that, in English. Is that right on the date, Elsa? So I don't see the date, but it's I just tried to vote and I'm not eligible. So, so that's the Pacific. Closed. That's Pacific. Oh. That's Pacific. So the national's not even open yet because oh. Albert was just pos- uh, 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 not positioned. He doesn't even position until January first. Correct. That's so he official. was just announced as his position in the last week and a half, I think, if I remember yeah. right. By the way, for all you guys out there watching, I have my cell phone, and I'm supposed to have people. Okay. <laughs> does anybody <laughs> does anybody have? They, they you know, we, we we made it uh, oh, standard they, practice for a little bit that if your phone rang while you were here on the show, yeah. that you had to answer it and, that, yeah, and, oh, and, and have a conversation. conversation. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. so I, I was, think I'm on vibrate. I was gonna throw that out, but. Uh, I didn't, um, I didn't, I'll, I didn't t- I'll take a call if anybody wants Rabbit, to tell us the date today. <laughs> Rabbit did say that he tried calling you. Oh, he did? Uh, he's full of shit. He's Rabbit. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I believe uh, you can announce your intent for candidacy, uh, your run for candidacy, August 1st. Uh, I believe if I remember right, and I only know this because uh, Melissa Nelson Lowe was on our show, yeah. who is the next election is November 21st for the 2022 seating. Is, did I get that year right? 
Or no, no, it's twenty twenty two for the twenty twenty three seating. That's correct. That I, I got so that wrong. So we took it. Yeah, we took the we took seats in. No, no, we 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 were seated in twenty nineteen, which means the election was in twenty eighteen. So then twenty twenty one is the election. Is the election for to seat in twenty twenty two. Melissa is running for that. It's on her website, melissa dot com. Yeah. And I have zero doubt in my mind that she is going to be running for this one. I have no doubt in my mind. You can read into that. Her intent has been uh, publicly stated on her website. Sweet. Yeah. I didn't know had she made it public yeah. yet or not. Yeah. Um, I would tell you she told me that personally, but. I wouldn't do that unless it was already on her website. Yeah, that I was in the same boat. I'm like, uh, it's yeah, Facebook I feel, official. I feel like yeah. she had it on her. Oh, website it's Facebook we official too. Okay, she's, she's well, announced no, that there. now. It's Facebook. Oh, yeah. uh, for kidding? for her 2021 run for 2022, but for this replacement for Albert, I Correct. believe is she's also going. Oh, Roger, I got you. Yeah, she actually uh, emailed every director, yeah. even though the directors no longer have a vote, just to get input from the directors on what she's doing, which. Once again, a good member reaching out to their yeah. directors to understand what's going on. She's a very talented lady. Yeah. I love her a bunch. If you want to make a difference on the board, talk to your members, but run for the election. Run to replace Albert as a national director yeah. if you think you've got what it takes. Run in 2021 for 2022. Side note, um, quite often people run for the board just like running for any public office and are not elected the first time through. But the ability to expose yourself to the people who would be voting for you or expose yourself to the process to to put your name out there, so to speak, that's yes. the way it's done. So if you think you may, even if you don't think you can win, even if you know you can't win, you've only been in the sport a couple of years, nobody knows who you are, and that doesn't matter. If you want to be part of the process, run for the board. If you don't win, learn a lot about going through the process, and it will make you a better candidate the next time around and grow into the position. We've had so many people on the board over the years that just literally grew into the position. They nipped... You know, like me, I didn't I didn't run for it because I had some big, giant, major change agenda in my head. It was just made sense to me for the next stage of my skydiving career. And for a lot of people, it's that way. You find yourself just going, well, yeah, I could do that and I'd love to serve. Yeah. I will really speak to that point by talking about you for one second. I have never really wanted to be on the board as much as I have always felt in the position if there's not somebody else better to do the job than I'm willing to run. Mm -hmm. I've had this direct conversation with you, so if anybody's hearing this, there's no drama at this point. You and I have had this conversation. And what it was is at a point I watched Chuck walk around the drop zone and talk about safety standards and BSRs and telling people they're violating issues. And I would tell Chuck, I agree with your thought process, but I don't agree with the way you're presenting it. Mm -hmm. That's not a BSR. That's not this or not. It's not that. And my ultimate fear was is you were going to go in with these preconceived notions and run in a way that I just thought wasn't going to be great. I'm like, this guy can't be our regional director. And thank you so much for proving me wrong. And the point you're making is go in there and grow and learn. And the thing that you have done and you have won me over a thousand percent is the day you became our regional director, I you, you stopped barking at certain things and you started learning about them, including you came to me and said, educate me on this process. Sure. And yes, guys, run for a director, get there. And y yes, you're not ready. Absolutely. You're not ready to be a director until you've been a director for, what'd you say, four and a half years <laughs> or 10? Who knows? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a moving target. It always will be. Yeah. And, and you will grow, you will grow into the business position. Absolutely. You'll grow in the spot. Um, so many people who the board listened to um, ran for the board and didn't make it on the board, but now they're known by the board members mm -hmm. and the board members go, hey, Elsa, you never made it, but obviously you're interested. What's your thoughts? So 
without winning, you can end up having influence on yeah. the board. And even if you don't win this one, the next one, we may not have the time to run a membership election. You know, as, as we said earlier, the board has the right to do it either way we want. We, we want to go with member elections. But if we're, you know, just a couple of months from a meeting, we, we have an obligation to fill that seat in, in the most efficient way possible. So the next time around, it may be a vote by the board. So a candidate who may not even come anywhere close to winning this national director election here, just getting to know board members and whatnot could become a huge part because they may be the board favorite next time around. You don't know if it's a board vote. So politics is a weird creature sometimes. It, it is. And fortunately, most of the board members I know are good at doing the politics, but not being political about it. I don't know yeah, if I we said don't, that the right way. We don't browbeat each other, at least not this term. We have a fantastic board, and it's a, it's a board that has probably as much synergy as any board could. Um, hiccups here and there, but I got to tell you, the, this, this term has been fantastic as far as board members. Uh, nose to the grindstone, let's try to leave the politics out of it. And, and we will openly say that in board meetings. You know, let's stick to the issues. You know, we, that's what the bar's for. You know, if, <laughs> if, if we want to throw down with our, with our opinions, that's what the board, you know, that's what that's for, or whatever. But so, yeah, I, you just can't imagine how, how humbling it is to serve on a board that's filled with so much talent. It's, it really is truly an amazing experience. I, I'm, I, I'm humbled to know that they had enough trust in me to ask me to do it. So it's a huge responsibility to make sure I don't disappoint the board or our members. Uh, you've got my support. I ask you one thing as our regional director. Sure. Keep running. That, no, that, that is my you. request. Keep running. Um, That's it, humbling. You've done a great job. You've done a great job. And, and um, I can be very critical. Absolutely. And I, and I know and I realize that. But my criticism comes with, with a thought process. Sure. And I don't think you're perfect and neither am I. Um, but I think you do a wonderful job. Well, thank you. Um, we do turn into pumpkins at some point. You have a three o'clock wake up time for a show. Yeah, you know. So as we get ready to wrap, <laughs> anything you want to share? As but I also get a nap tomorrow in the middle of the day. Not everybody gets that. That's a great idea. So. I am I jealous. Am, I I <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. I uh, should get one. <laughs> I, I won't. So I'm sorry. You had anything a you want to share before we close out? Uh, just what we had talked about a little bit earlier. I want to summarize with it. Really, if you're a USPA member that's that's watching right now, or you're watching it down the road on on recorded. Interact with USPA. Call us when you have a concern. Get to know your regional director because that person you may not you may or may not know them now. But if you get to know them a little bit, then later down the road when you have a problem, it won't seem uncomfortable or awkward to call them because you've spoken with them before. It's the first thing I get. People get on the phone. Hey, sorry to bother you with this. You're not bothering me. I ran for this office because I wanted to serve our members. So communicate with your board. Um, and I, I'll stick my neck out here. Put my number in your contact list. It's the cell phone number that's listed on the website and in Parachutist Magazine. Put it in there. And do you ever have to call me? No. But if you need something and you can't reach your regional director and you're on the drop zone and you see something that you think is really, really needs to be talked about, whether it's a safety thing or whatever it is, if you need something, put my phone number in your contacts and call me. If I can, if I need to defer you or, you know, send you to a different portion, you know, a different director or whatever, I'll do that. But I'll be your starting point if, and every one of our directors is the same way. You should have your regional director's number in your contacts. You should be able to reach that person on a moment's notice because if you have a question, they don't mind answering it. 
Absolutely. That's that's what we're here for. So if I had any one message at all, it would be to say moving forward, both for USPA and for our members, let's continue to get deeper and deeper in our communication with each other, because that's what has made us successful to this date. And it's going to it's what's going to make us successful moving forward. I'll speak as a regional member. I do uh, help our drop zone with safety and training in a large role in a large aspect. Mm -hmm. And almost every safety and training uh, advisor at our drop zone has been placed partially by me in the last probably 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it's been through Todd's Pillars, through myself or through you. And of course, I talk to the drop zone manager, owners, and, and you guys. And every time I approach you, you are always responsive. You don't always agree with what we ask. You have a very logical response to me. We've talked it out. Um, I can think of one director we talked about or one safety and training advisor we talked about, and we came to a great compromise and a great answer. Mm-hmm. But the fact is you immediately answered. You were open. You had a conversation, and you were willing to hear, hear my arguments, and, and you were willing to come to a compromise. Guys and gals, they are out there fucking listening. They are out there for you. Um, I, I, I will be critical of the board till the day I die, but I'm critical in a way of support because they do listen, they do pay attention, and they do want that constructive criticism. Mr. P., what you got, homie? Uh, I think I've only asked you for one thing as uh, you were our regional director, which was help with the uh, pro rating, which you were yeah, yeah. super fast to do. Turnaround, baby. It was, it was quick. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen you do really well, and uh, it seems like you're a really good fit for this role. So I'm well, with, I'm you. a DJ. Keep on running. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you guys so much and appreciate all of our members. It, it truly is a humbling experience to do what we're doing up there, and, and we, we do it because we love to serve the members. And I know that sounds corny, but it's it's for us it's true. Maybe it's corny, but it's still true. It is the truth, man. Miss Elsa, anything you got, young lady? Um, yes. I'm going to humble you one more time. Sure, okay. So three years ago when I did my second tandem, uh-huh. and I was just hanging out. I had no idea who you were, and you just came up to me, and you're like, you should uh, get your license. <laughs> and here I am. You know, I've heard people uh, kind of poke fun at you for, for this, of your sure. uh, persistence in approaching tandem students. Mm-hmm. And uh, I argue that point with man if every instructor who worked for the drop zone approached people at the drop zone in the same way that chuck does we'd get a lot more people skydiving for real usually people just want to be engaged when they go because they're already interested right i mean they they wouldn't be there if they didn't have a curiosity maybe about continuing unless they're just the get the t-shirt person and elsa's been like so many other folks that if you engage them and show and demystify it right take i love taking people through the packing area you know we teach them the rules don't step on parachutes and i always say if you don't know what it is don't touch it that's a pretty pretty open rule right there but i have found that when we demystify the sport and we show them just a little bit about how the gear works or just a little bit about why parachutes glide and just little stuff it'll pique their interest and they'll want to come back and it's it's not a perfect it's not a perfect science but if you don't if you don't try right Elsa wouldn't be sitting here if somebody didn't exactly so well, thank you. That is humbling. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. People do poke at you. Tandem instructors poke at you. And I'm 100% with Nick. Chuck, if you as a tandem instructor act like Chuck Akers did, here's a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, they're going to come back and do a tandem a second time and request mm-hmm. you. Then they're going to come back and get their license and make more money for your friends. And you're going to get more jumps yourself. And then they're going to continue jumping. And there's a good chance if you treated your tandem students the way Chuck talks to the tandem students, <laughs> you'd probably get better fucking tips, guys. No fucking joke about it, man. I, I remember as a tandem instructor on Weatherholds going around and checking with everybody. Hey, guys, so sorry about the weather. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. 
I, I really just wanted to keep you guys up to date. I answered the stupidest questions that I, I hated the questions, but I understood sure. them. It's the mystery part. Yeah. And I actually yeah, yeah. remember one day I got a lady who, when I did her tandem, she goes, you probably don't remember me. Two weeks ago, we were here on a weather hold. I'm like, actually, I do remember you. You were here with a group of ladies. We talked. She's like, yeah, she remember. I'm like, yeah. And, and that means everything to those she folks. Gave mm-hmm. She gave me a hundred dollar tip, and she told me she gave me the hundred dollar tip because of the way I treated her two weeks prior. Sure, man. Guys. And by the way, the Spaceland staff is amazing. So it's it for a lot of places that would be yeah. above and beyond, but for Spaceland, it's just the way you guys do. And your it's business. not all TIs. There's a few, just a few. But guys, Chuck is one of the best ambassadors for our sport, which is why I think you're a great president for our well, organization. Thank you. I appreciate that. So anything else, guys, before Elsa, play that funky music, White Girl? Play that funky music. Play that funky music. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We sure appreciate you. (laughs) Guys and gals, Grab Lab Radio (laughs) Film Festival coming up October 24th. Elsa, keep doing your thing. Are you broke over there? No. She said, oh, I'm a white girl. Like it was a shock. (laughs) Have you looked in a mirror lately? I get it. Did now. you turn the music on? What are you She's doing with your life? Slide it up on the board slide, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the thing you forgot to turn down on LB Live the other night? It says you have computer to turn it up now. The slider. I'm doing it. You're now doing push the terrible, button again because you pushed it a job. second time and ended it. Let's see Plug your ears. Is. She's going to go full Nick Lot on us. Oh, my goodness. We got nothing over here. This is great. She'll get it. Guys and gals, while Elsa's over there figuring this out, Gravity Lab. Film Festival, October 24th. Boom. Some of the prizes have been announced. Cookie has thrown down a free G4. So once again, nice. Cookie Helmet's thrown it in. SSK is coming in with 30% off a brand new Cypress 2. He's doing this without liner cards. We have, uh, we have an Aries 2 and a Protract 2 sitting wow. right there from LB Altimeters. You'll be minus I one of those. not oh, talked to Spaceland yet, but they've always thrown down eight free jumps for this. Etande Wee is going to wow. come in with some swoop shorts. We have a lot more to announce. GoPro is thrown in with their GoPro as well. October 29th or 24th or whatever the fucking date is, show up, the film festival, be there or be Square. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Elsa, for uh, pushing all the buttons over there. We appreciate you guys. Gravity Lab Radio. Yes, indeed. And we cannot leave without saying, what's up, Chuck? Up, Chuck. See what we did there? Mm. Music's over. You got to hit stop. Are we back. done? There Are you we done? Go. Yes. I feel like we're stop. done. <laughs> did you hit stop yet? We're done. You hit stop that yet? That was more yeah. like radio for the last 10 minutes than, than video.